I'm Alex Shaw. I'm Sharon Shaw. Welcome to School of Everything Else. The Castlevania Video Games. With us are, from Magic the Gathering podcast, The Mana Pool, Jason Chewy Slate. What a horrible night to have a curse. And from the School of Movies Discord, it's Alexa Vargas, otherwise known as Pluto Burns, on YouTube and Twitter. Dracula, you big nerd, where's my money? <laughs> <laughs> wow, we got it said in the first few seconds. Okay. Now, this one came out of left field. I hadn't actually expected to have so much of my 2021 spent thoroughly immersed in Castlevania games. But I've been getting into retro handhelds recently, and this series is particularly compulsive and well presented in that format. Now, I have gathered a team of vampire hunters to help us talk you through the series from its roots in the mid-80s to its genre-redefining evolution through to its petering out as attempts to alter the format to fit the changing market did not yield the best results. And finally, to its abandonment by Konami, who decided to quit video game development altogether and make pachinko machines out of it, and gambling machines. Gambling machines with, and this is a direct quote, erotic violence. That, that was a, a selling point. Oh, Do you like erotic violence? We got it. Uh, now, I, you if know, you're gonna gamble, erotic violence just—it's just hand in hand, right? Erotic violence. I mean, like that's not new to us. Pachinko machines are in public; people can see what you're doing, yeah. and that's super hot. <laughs> so the series appropriately divides into three categories, roughly chronologically, with some intersection, and we're going to handle each in turn. There are the whip and jump titles, which is how they started out, then the Metroidvanias, which is how they developed, and finally the 3D action games, which represent that drive to hit what Konami perceived as the way they should adapt to meet the changing landscape. The plots are usually fairly uniform. A young adventurer, mostly always a dude, frequently with a whip, must journey to Dracula's castle and explore it, killing every monster he sees, or just avoiding them, and facing a series of increasingly tougher bosses until he faces the final challenge, again, usually Dracula. But also, sometimes someone trying to resurrect Dracula in some way, or a Dracula wannabe. And our remit in this show is to whittle down this long list of 30-plus titles, all of which are elaborate and sound kind of similar and overwhelming for newcomers, and hopefully highlight which ones are serious recommends for you to play and why. And along the way, which ones to steer clear of, like a vampire avoids French restaurants. We are going to go system by system, and I think rather than just focusing on mechanics, we should establish what the Castlevania aesthetic is, the atmosphere, the experience of playing the games, and we're going to ask ourselves what are the unique details of how each title's 
convey the atmosphere through visuals and music and design choices and what is thrown at you from the shadows as you hunt Dracula again and again and again and anything that we know about the making of each game. So we will start with the original three from the Nintendo Entertainment System, that is Castlevania from 1986, Simon's Quest from 1987, and Dracula's Curse from 1989. Okay, the, the so... The chiptune bangers, Gavin. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've been compiling Castlevania music ostensibly for this show, but I've been like turning it into albums and going, well, this is pretty banging. This is great to listen to. And um, as it goes along the series, folks, you'll hear like classic tunes from the past get remastered and remixed and, and, and re-released in like orchestral or like thrash metal versions. And uh, it's, it's kind of lovely to hear them uh, like given this reverent treatment. The vibe that just started there and permeated throughout for the most part. It had the, the gothic architecture and the the look of so many of the critters mm. stayed the same throughout the entire run. Uh, uh, the know, mermen basically mechanically are always like that. They always jump out of the water at you. They definitely go through some lovely redesigns, but mm. there's them, there's the little bouncy... They're called hunchbacks in this game. They would become like more like oh, little flea goblin... Fleamen, yeah, yes. Flea that's what, yeah. that's what they'd bastards. settle on calling them. Mm. Um, you get a lot of the classic bosses, the mummy, the bat. Uh, which are all inspired by Universal monster movies. You got the Gorgon, who's act I guess that's more of a Harry Harryhausen thing. Yeah, that's uh, Clash of the Titans, isn't it? One thing that surprised me is actually how shitty the castle looks in the original Castlevania. Not in terms of poorly presented, but it's an it's a dilapidated ruin with giant holes in the walls. If you compare it to Symphony of the Night, where it's this gorgeous, sumptuous palace that just seems to have been abandoned. Uh, aside from in like the crumbling ramparts areas, like the the outskirts of Castle Dracula, when you're going in on the uh, NES, they they've really fallen to ruin. That is something the first uh, I want to say five or so games really leaned into more the sense that you're exploring a dilapidated castle where evil once lurked, and you just got to make sure it stays in there so all the peasants of Wallachia can like not get eaten tonight. Yeah. The games couldn't be simpler. You just work through the ruins, fighting bad guys. You'll see candlesticks all over the place. For some reason, these candlesticks have abided throughout the series. And when you hit the candlesticks, hearts come out. And if you've never played a Castlevania game before, you go, oh, thank God, I was really low on energy. And then you pick up a heart, and it goes, that's cool. That heart means you can throw your knife an extra time. What? Or your cross, or your holy water. So how do I get energy? You hit the wall. Maybe someone hid a pot roast in there. Okay, this world is crazy. So Dracula's up on high in his tower looking down on your early progress again. Like, fucking Belmont again. Igor? Yes, master? Have you ensured that our weakest boss is at the end of this particular stretch of road for him? Yes, master? Cool, 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 cool. And have you hidden all of our pot roasts inside walls? Yes, master? Excellent. There's no way he's going to beat me this time. first two games you play Simon Belmont, the third game you play his ancestor, Trevor Belmont, 
Also a firecaster named Cypher. Cypher and Alucard and this one Grant. other guy, Grant, who isn't really in other media, but he is in the games. He clambers all over things. And uh, yeah, I, I was absolutely going to get to Alucard regarding like It's 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 kind of a, like he turns up and it's like, hmm, this uh, kind of the Dracula's son. And it's like, that should be so much drama. And obviously certain, uh, you know, uh, certain TV shows actually did make the most of that drama. And um, we will be covering, I think, the uh, Castlevania TV show in a completely separate podcast. The third one is, you can tell they refined mm. things. But Simon or Trevor, the Belmont, controls kind of stiffly, but it's fine because the whole game is, with a few exceptions that are supposed to be harder, the whole game is built around that stiff control like when you jump mm. you can't change direction or anything yeah. and he's his especially in the first game his walk animation always made me think he had a limp but that's <laughs> you need to hear or there uh his boots in I, the second one always make me think he's just got bare legs and bare feet they're just white yeah yeah uh, didn't he no but, <laughs> i think they were just whitish pale leather boots but um the fact that the entire game is built around those mechanics to put it in a more modern argument that I've had recently. You know how in Resident Evil 4 you can't move and shoot at the same time? Mm. And people complain about that even though the entire game is built around the fact that you can't move and shoot. Yeah. So it's not like a drawback. It's not bad design because they designed everything around it. That's how I feel about the way that the first three games control is uh, it was deliberate. It wasn't like they didn't know what they were doing mm. and so it controls like this. Like, it, you can get uh, pixel accurate with your jumps and your whipping and whatnot if you know what you're doing, which I don't. You're whipping and, and whatnot. Exactly. It adds, it adds to this sense of cohesiveness that uh, Castlevania 1 and 3 have, where it's like, it, it's there's no word for it, but as a player, you feel like the people making it were talking to each other, like the different departments mm. were communicating and had like a plan, and they weren't all just like trapped in their own little broom cupboards, cranking out code, and then later someone just stuck it all together and said, "Yep, that's your game." Two things that struck me as well. The um, one is, and uh, we've been reading up on this, the tactical nature of it. It's actually designed the way the enemies lunge at you to deter you from running, from to deter you from trying to sort of like speed run through the uh, level until you know like you're going to get speedrunners who have memorized the whole thing. But it encourages you to play uh, economically, tactically, hang back, mm -hmm. um, e effectively, kind of like Dark Souls came from here in that it. Dark Souls will absolutely smash you to pieces if you just charge ahead, hoping for the best. It's uh, in that and in the general look and feel. I, mm -hmm. I fully believe Dark Souls is like a modern evolution from what Castlevania set down. Mm. It achieved in 3D what uh, the Castlevania series had never been able to do. In the early Castlevania games, uh, obviously the NES has not a lot of colors. It's got enough to get you by. So the games, uh, except for two, which is a little different, the games have like this poppiness to them. Like they're dark and spooky, but it's the dark and spooky you get at like a fun Halloween party instead mm, of like an actually, train, yeah. yeah, instead of like an actually scary, like haunted house experience 
where they've really like layered on the guts and the blood because they're actually trying to scare you and it's not just going to be like a fun evening. Sharon, you had uh, your arch nemesis in a lot of these early games. Frickin' stairs. It's the stairs. <laughs> I oh, think these are actually... Arch nemesis in every Castlevania game. <laughs> some of the biggest barriers of entry for modern uh, contemporary players is those stairs because you'll be like, okay, I'm doing pretty well here and now I'll just climb up the stairs. I'll just climb up the stairs or even worse, <laughs> I'll just climb down the stairs. Why did you jump to your death? Why is that jumping to your death? <laughs> and you disappear off the bottom of the screen because you didn't press diagonally down in exactly the right way. And so he flings himself to his death. It's like, okay, that's just... Like, it feels like poor game design. I'm assuming they were trying to deliberately make it feel treacherous. Yeah. I mean, I... I, I had... Just just to give you a little bit of background in terms of me and platform-type games, I never had games consoles as a kid. I had a Spectrum from a very early age, and I got a Master System when I was about 15. And in between those groups, there was nothing but a Commodore 64. Every so often, there will be a platformer that I enjoy, but they are very, very few and far between. I think Jet Set Willy and Braid and... Not a lot in between. <laughs> so and, you liked and, Hollow Knight, but it's incredibly yes, harsh. but it's it's very very difficult. But but there has to be a hook for me, like a really specific hook, an incredibly intricate story or an aesthetic that I absolutely vibe with from the word go. Otherwise, it's I don't have the necessary components to do the the precision and the timing and you have to be exactly poised on this pixel to jump or you're not going to get to the other side and you have to be like not charging in fast this this whole thing about it deterring you from just racing in there what i found with the first three and again part this is going to be partly because it's so long since i've really played any platformers i'm completely out of sync with that just sit there and watch and see what happens and work out what you need to do to get around it um, I'm much more of a hack and slash charge in, just whack things until everything's dead. And that really doesn't work with these at all. Probably and like Streets of Rage. Weirdly, um, the, uh, the, the, black, the black and white ones were the Game Boy games, mm. weren't they? There was one of those that, I, that really did deter me from racing in. For some reason, when I played that, possibly because there's no colour, it means my brain doesn't get all excited and try to do things too quickly. Ah. Um, but it's the, with all the sort of jumping and climbing ropes and things, it felt like Pitfall, which mm. I did used to play on a, I want to say an Amiga. Sinclair Spectrum yeah, ZX. Yeah, long time ago. They had, anyway, they had one of these machines at my Atari 2600. Club, so yeah, that sounds about right. And I used to play that. So th- it, it kind of slipped me back into that mindset, I suppose. But, but otherwise... I struggled with a lot of the more intricate elements Mm. of this and the stairs were the thing that thwarted me every time because I would always forget if you take one more step over this ledge than you intend, you're falling. Yeah. Uh, why does everyone hate, or not us necessarily, but uh, but notoriously the second one, Simon's Quest, people dislike in comparison to numbers one and three? Okay, uh, the, the real answer for that is because it's one of the first popular videos that the angry video game nerd did. Okay. And everyone just sort of, yeah, that game sucks! Jumped on and, the bandwagon, gotcha. Yeah. But um, on the flip side, Ego Raptor came out with a video also on that, and he was... I don't want to say complimentary to the game, but he was a lot more balanced about it. And I have since that video played through the whole game with a guide, which is about the only way you're going to get through that game. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, uh, but 
the the reason I think that it it doesn't hold up, it's a wonderfully high concept game, especially for the NES. Mm. Like, You've got like a village of people that you got to buy yeah, stuff. It's an for. open world RPG mm. from nineteen what eighty seven in Japan. Yeah. What on the <laughs> NES? What? No, it, it, it was ahead it, of its, its time. It, it's quite astonishing. Um, there's elements you can see of Castlevania two in later games. Uh, not so much that it's like obvious, but there is a little bit of its DNA in Symphony of the Night and Order of Ecclesia and all those, all that chain. Mm. It's not forgotten, but remember what I said about how the uh, early Castlevania games feel really considered and like everyone was talking to each other. Mm. Two, two doesn't have that quite so much. There's uh, two areas towards the end of the game that are just complete dead-end traps for you to wander down and get lost. Like, Ugh. there's nothing there. And it's just to make you go there and waste your uh, health and items trying to get past the enemies. And you get to the end of that area, and you just have to turn around because there's nothing there. I didn't fall for those traps because I had a guide, which is... <laughs> Just really draws into focus how much that game is kind of jerking you around. If I remember rightly as well, I could be wrong on this, but uh, the first one and the third one are very colourful and the, there's a lot of visual contrast yes. between mm. what's going on around you. Simon's Quest looks like, and this makes sense if you've got a villager, a village around you, but it looks like somebody's tipped mud all over it. Yeah, it's very reddish brown. brown to begin with, yeah. yeah. There's a day-night cycle as well, so it's like day, more dangerous at night. Again, Zelda would take from that mm. later. Yeah. It's, it's a much darker game like in graphically and in tone mm. because like Simon killed Dracula but Dracula laid a curse on him so now he has to go gather up all of the bits of Dracula resummon Dracula so he can kill him again <laughs> like and like damn get get like his heart in a bag or something from one of the castles it's it's something serious translation problems oh yeah like you now possess Dracula's rib. I'm like, you know what I've always wanted to do with Dracula's rib is possess it. it. <laughs> but uh, it had the weird design decision. Like like uh, Pluto said, uh, I hope you don't mind if I call you Pluto. That's where you are in my brain. You have to have a guide because the game is so obscure, especially obtuse. with the bad translation. Like you have to go to one of those dead ends, equip a certain item and squat for some number of seconds and then a tornado will come and pick you up and take you to the castle. What? That's worse than Monkey Island puzzles. How on earth would it you is. do that by mistake? Which is how I <laughs> stand any chance of getting through In any theory, of this. A villager or a, a hint or something you'll get somewhere will tell you that, mm. and you have to put it together. But because of the bad translation... It was literally bang your head against the cliffs. That's what it said to do. <laughs> so yeah, in conclusion, of the three NES games... It's definitely worth playing all three of them for a bit. But if you're going to push on with one of them, the third one, Dracula's Curse, is the fan favourite. Multiple characters, branching pathways, different endings. It is, as Chewie said, a refinement of the NES formula. Just remember, Simon's Quest is the one where he has a curse put on him, and Dracula's Curse is the one that's much more like a quest. The Game Boy ones. I feel like these ones are beloved because people had them on trips 
and they were bored otherwise, and this was their salvation. They were like, oh my god, I got my Game Boy with me. I've got, like, specifically Belmont's Revenge is revered as one of the underrated classics of the series. I, I can't personally say anything nice about them. I found okay. them very plodding and unpleasant to play. I, I wanted to play Legends, the third one that has an actual female protagonist, but mm. that was the only one not in the anniversary collection. Yeah, rendered non-canon. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it came out the same year as Symphony of the Night. Igarashi specifically well. said he didn't like it for some reason. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, there are a few that are non-canon anymore. I knew about that one. I just didn't know it wasn't in the anniversary collection, which is sad because I have that. But the first, uh, the Castleva- Castlevania The Adventure, the first one with Christopher Belmont. Yay. Christopher. It's so bad. Like, I had it as a kid and I played it because I didn't have a choice. But it, it could just be that the emulator's bad. But I played it on an emulator... Uh, I don't know what my Game Boy emulator is, and on the anniversary collection, and it plays exactly the same in both of them. It's got a horrible slowdown that just and and Christopher plods along at such a stupid pace. And if you if you take a hit, you lose your whip upgrade. Mm. Yeah, a lot of people don't just, like that. It's just awful. And and the, I think they were trying to equate Simon with uh, Mario, so you lose your um, mushroom size. And I I guess. Yeah, but well, Mario has a chance to get that back a lot more often. You think staircases are bad? The mm. ropes, because they didn't have staircases in the Game Boy games for some reason. Oh they just had yeah. Ropes. And the ropes, you can grab the ropes in midair. Thank God, which you can't do on the early Castlevania games with staircases. Hmm. Uh. But if you don't press up or down when you're next to the rope and you just fall instead of climbing down the rope, you die. Mm. And yeah, it sounds treacherous again. It, it's But it's like a, an artificial treachery. Yeah. But for the first one, I have I have all the problems with the first one. But Belmont's Revenge and uh, Legends, granted, I didn't play them for very long. Uh, we didn't say this. Over the last two nights, I've spent 14 hours streaming a taste test of all of these Castlevania games, by the way. Uh, so this is all fresh for me, but Belmont's Revenge and Legends, although I didn't play much, they felt much better. They mm. didn't have the horrible slowdown. They had a better handle on Game Boy hardware at that point, and they were actually enjoyable for what they are, which, you know, is original Game Boy games. But I, I didn't hate them at all. One Hard, hardly a recommendation, though. <laughs> Yeah, I know oh. there, there was a uh, an issue with the MSX version of the original Castlevania. I think it was like Vampire Castle or something, uh, and uh, the, origi- yeah, the original Game Boy version, in that they couldn't really scroll to a new screen quickly. So it is very much a sort of, oh, God, okay, so here's a screen. Now you either ascend through a rope or a staircase, and then we'll show you the next screen. Like That, that was very much against you charging through. Like Mega Man is... Um, a, a series where you're kind of supposed to to move nimbly and fast and memorize the routes and get around there at, at relative speed. But um, yeah, cast, I, again, it had that same scrolling issue where they were like, oh God, another screen. Okay, hold on one second. Here it is. It, it would blur otherwise. The difficulty the with something like that as well is that you occasionally will get this situation where you just climbed up from one screen to the next, but if you fall, you die. And mm. it's like, no, I know there's a room there I just came from <laughs> okay the next generation was uh, 16 bits so we got the uh, Super Nintendo Castlevania 4 which is a remake of the original a loose remake you're still playing Simon you're still after Dracula 
and uh, Bloodlines or the next generation on the Mega Drive. Now, usually, growing up, I had the Mega Drive and then the SNES. Usually, I tend to bias towards the SNES because I... I just loved the extra, the softness and the colour palette of, of SNES translations. There was a kind of a uh, sharpness about the Mega Drive sound chip, which was always more of a sort of a buzzing wasp than the sort of soft polyphonic sound of the SNES version. In Thank this case, you. it's kind of inversed because I like the SNES version. I never loved it and I never particularly played it. And this was the first time I actually completed the damn thing. And yet Bloodlines actually impressed me. Like, the SNES one was like, it's fine. I could have done without all of that whip swinging, which felt very loose. Like, I jumped to my fucking death over and over again on that thing. Uh, but, like, the, the Mode 7 stuff, all of the sort of moving the background was impressive. That's the stuff that I recall about Super Castlevania. I also was not... I, I did not have any of these old ones. I'm a very latecomer to the series, so SNES versus Genesis stuff is all mostly over my head. But the actual gameplay of Super Castlevania 4 is... It's a bit loose. Like mm. it feels like they've still got the level design team of the of the NES games, but they've given Simon this absolutely gigantic fuck off whip. Yeah. And <laughs> a lot of complaints were that it goes absurd. halfway across the screen. Yeah, it's absurd. So, and you know that balances a little in the player's favor. So it's a, it's a little bit easier than the other Castlevania games. I'm sure it's easier for some people to finish, but. Well, the bosses definitely. I'm like, that was it. Okay. I, I found it to be a little dull. I found the color palette to be weirdly brown, which mm. is oh, yeah. so strange because the SNES is very colorful usually. It's not as brown as Castlevania Chronicles, which occasionally has you groveling in mud, but it, it's brown. <laughs> uh, I've always had a problem with the the color palette, like the look of Super Castlevania Four. Mm -hmm. But it, I, I never could figure out what it was until there was a video that was linked in your uh, Discord. Mm -hmm. Uh, about oh, the art yeah. style of Castlevania. Mm -hmm. And they pointed out, it's not, like, dark. Ever. Even when you're in a cave, it's yeah. all filled There's in. No There's shadows. no black. There's no void. And I went, that's what it was! It didn't feel like a Castlevania game. It, it looks shadowy. about the yeah. same as the uh, Star Wars games on um, the Super Nintendo. In fact, I, I would rate the uh, Indiana Jones Greatest Adventures as a really unfair... Castlevania spiritual successor like it, it, it's up well, indie with his whip and occasional swinging and just the, the the enemies you face and just the actual moment-to-moment -moment actions are actually really similar to a Castlevania but playing it is more frustrating than almost any game on this list and I loved that game when I was a kid it's just that you know I hadn't played more fair games I've really come to adore Bloodlines, though. Um, mm. I have, I have like a Genesis, and I have like the original like cartridge copy now. I've gotten them all used. Uh, it's very colorful, a lot of red. They're really leaning to the blood thing. If you're not on the PAL version, it was the first one where they just they actually showed blood in a vampire game. Um, it's it's, it's like a, a lot of different thing. colors, kind of tilting more towards. It's tilting a little anime at this point because, mm. like, I would say the first series of games had a. A bit of a Conan thing going on, especially yeah, in, in like the box, the box art. art. So there's a Frank Frazetta feel to it. Bloodlines is definitely still in that camp, but it's starting to lean a little anime now. And um, I know Chewy on stream wasn't super fond of the sound effects in Bloodlines, and they are very Genesis chonky. I just <laughs> hate the Genesis audio. Uh, the game itself was awesome. The music, like, I had though. never played it before oh. this stream. And it was so good! Like, yeah. I have it second on my ranking of Classic Mania games. 
underneath only Rondo. But the music is shockingly good because the Sega, the Genesis soundship is just not particularly well regarded. But this is the first Castlevania game that Michiro Yamane worked on, and mm-hmm. she would do the music for basically all the amazing games to come. Yeah, she uh, she just uh, there's some some of my favorite tracks started here. The um, the Sunken City one that dur, 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 dur. it doesn't have the Mode Seven tricks, but it mm. does have some neat stuff. There's a there's a cool bit where the water level rises and lowers, and you got yeah. reflections in that. The rotating there's, tower at the uh, top of the Leaning Tower of Pisa is, is uh, reprised at the end of Curse of the Moon for the final boss. It's it's. Oh yeah. yeah. I, I think they really push the Genesis, the Mega Drive, to its limits. There's a there's a load of moment to moment gameplay. You're not massively impressed. It looks like a slightly less showy version of the uh, uh, the SNES one, but then. Just slowly, the aesthetics are a lot more blacks and reds, and then just the, the the moments stick with you. And there's something to be said for having six very distinct stages and then finishing. I, I was never a fan in Super Castlevania 4 of being able to whip in eight directions mm. because, like, remember I said in the NES games, you could only whip Forward, in one direction. Everything was very right, yeah. designed around that. Castlevania 4 sometimes it just felt too easy. Mm. Like, oh, look, there's a thing up there. Whip up, whip up, whip up, whip up. I killed it before it ever saw me. Plus all the secondary weapons you had there. But Bloodline strikes a nice balance, Mm. I think, where you can whip up at an angle, but only if you're jumping. And you can whip straight down, but only if you're jumping. And other than that, it's just left and right. Like a nice blending of too easy and too restrictive. (laughs) Also, much like uh, Dracula's Curse on the NES, there were uh, branching pathways. Uh, on the on Dracula's Curse, it's e- improved even more so with Curse of the Moon. But um, uh, on Bloodlines on the Mega Drive, in Dracula's Curse, you could choose like the high road or the low road. Uh, but in the Mega Drive one, it's like, right, I could get across here with my whip if I play Johnny Morris, and if I play Eric Lacard with his spear. I can't, so I've got to go a different way. So it, it gives you a reason to play all six levels with both characters. Just a brief tangent towards the X68000, the sharp console that no one remembers, which had something called Castlevania Chronicles in it. And that was a remake of the original uh, NES version, which then got remade again on the PlayStation 1 with uh, an arranged version with redone sprites uh, and a much more red-haired anime-looking Simon. Um, this game, I, I was initially really impressed, especially with its soundtrack. Um, it, like the PlayStation One has a lot more thrash metal, whereas the earlier um, Sharp One's got like a lot of MIDI. But Sharon, you just tossed the joypad down. That you'd be like, "Fuck this one." <laughs> What was it about this one that put me off? Because I can't remember. It's the one where you've got to move, re- like, react really fast, but you move really sluggishly. Oh, God, yes, that was horrible. <laughs> it's, like, it's like the combination of the two worst possible things. Hmm. I still think Chronicles is a, a decent recommend for the PS1 era, simply because there weren't that many um, whip-and-jump Castlevanias after a certain point, so it's worth trying the ones that were pushing it. But it, it's... Annoying. I kind of liked it. <laughs> like it's... not, not. It's not great, but especially the fact that there were two versions. Mm. 
the arranged version apparently stops with the knockback. So when you get hit, you don't go flying. Oh, you just nice. sort of stand there, which I didn't realize until I couldn't make a jump that I had made before because I got hit by a bat. I got hit by a bat and fell, and I went, wait, I could make that last time. Oh. But, uh, so maybe try the arranged version. Yeah. But, um, as far as just a straight remake of one that's slightly pretty, not a straight remake, but a remake of one that's slightly prettier, I, I thought it was fine. Yeah. It wasn't, like, awful, but it wasn't good. It was, it was fine. It was fine. It's fine, but ultimately we're, we, we've got a list of, like I said, 30. We can't really recommend the fine ones. We've got to hone in. We've got to go for the ones that are great, which... So let's talk about Rondo. ...brings us to... Rondo of Love, The Hidden Secret, The Golden Chalice of the uh, Castlevania series. This was released on the TurboGrafx-16 in Japan only for ages and fucking ages. Like, so that most people in the West hadn't played it unless they were lucky enough to have this this weird, rare Japanese console available to them. One of the first tilts in the direction of uh, an anime look. And it's a brand new. Like it, it, it plays like it is a prequel to Symphony of the Night, um, but much more kind of whip and jump. So it's like if you took the Symphony of the Night presentation in many ways, and loads of those enemies from this ended up in Symphony of the Night. You've got this re- like the, like the opening sequence. Richter's on a cart, just sort of whipping his horse and going along. You're like, okay, so you're speeding off to the right. It's much more impressive than anything in, in any of the ones that have come before. And then Death turns up. And, but, like, the, the presentation of the way that Death turns up is like he's a shadow in the background speeding alongside, and then he sort of comes in closer and he's got his gets his scythe out. And then, like, not long after that, the, the werewolf fight at the end of uh, uh, level two, you go into a courtyard and there's a full moon there and in the very very background there's like a tower and then the silhouette of a werewolf lands on the tower in the far far distance and howls at the moon and then leaps up and away and you're like oh shit where's that werewolf and then in seconds he's down in the foreground and you're fighting him it's just a really great way of setting you up for oh some bad shit's coming in a truly memorable fashion for a video game. Especially a 16-bit side-scroller, albeit one assisted by CD-ROM technology. They go that extra mile on the presentation, and they give you like little setups for what, you, what you're about to face, to the point where you're like, wow, I am really impressed. And then the music kicks in. And my kicks God. you kicks you in the face. Yeah. Yeah, this this was a this was a complete shock when I did my uh, sort of playthrough of the Castlevania games a year ago or so. I, I I'd heard this one was good, but then I played it. And I'm like, oh my god! It's like the level design and whippy combat that I love from the earlier games, mm. but it's so much grander and richer. And there's so many more levels. Like every there's like ten levels 
that you can like figure out different ways of getting out of and yeah. into. They multiple kind of overlap. Multiple routes, multiple right? bosses. So rather just yeah. siphoning you to the same boss, they're like, oh, you went that way. Okay, different boss. Yeah, there's so, there's just so much in this game. There's an unlockable extra character to play as with a completely different ending cutscene. She's a cute little girl. She throws doves and does a double jump. She's that Maria Renard, is that? She's, yes. Uh, she's great fun, yeah. This was the yeah. first one that really made me go, oh, hell yeah, this is what I'm here for. Yeah. The And, and honestly, I think a lot of it is to do with that opening scene. Mm. Cinematic presentation. You've got, there's, there's text interactions, which I am a complete sucker for. And I don't think I got much further with it in terms of the gameplay than mm. I did with some of the other earlier ones. But I didn't resent it quite so much because it was giving me something even if I wasn't yeah. getting the gameplay. It's going out of its way to thrill you rather than just going right here you are in a level move to the right now you died you idiot. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. Yeah this this is like I said earlier this is at the top of my list. I'd never played it either uh, until I managed to, to get it running for this stream and I was like oh my god this feels good. Mm. Like just the the motion of uh, Richter. It's Richter Belmont in this one. Even the 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 goofy like early and '80s anime cutscenes. I was like, oh, <laughs> but all of the the like the motion and the feel of whipping just a stupid skeleton thing, especially the Donkey Kong things that throw barrels at you. Hmm. I was like, oh, that's satisfying. And you, your whip starts at full power, so you don't have to get a stupid upgrades to make your whip better. Which from a non like arcade game makes no freaking sense yeah how did I, I kept describing it as like the definitive classic vania game like mm. if you're gonna play one play this one yeah it's uh i'd agree with that yeah. it's it's been uh re-release if you have a ps4 and i, I don't know if this works with a ps5 apparently but it does. only four people oh okay but only four people have a ps5 so who knows <laughs> um it was released as what is it castlevania requiem yeah it's a double pack with symphony yeah, Rondo and Symphony, but it's the Amer the only American version. Well, the only American version of Rondo that you can just buy. Yeah, legally. Um, and if you look at uh, Castlevania ranked lists, I went through ranked list after ranked list just to work out which one to play, and ended up playing all of them. This was this has lasted me for a long while, like several years. Uh, but Rondo's always near the top of every single ranked list because, again, it's got that rarefied status of we didn't play this, but that kind of speaks volumes to its going back to play a retro game from the early to mid-90s that not only holds up, it's downright impressive. As of now, you can still download Dracula X Chronicles for the PSP. Mm -hmm. Because they, they, they have not yet shut off those servers. They're aiming to. Um, and don't listen to Chewy. Look, okay, the three, the 2.5D graphics in the in the quote-unquote improved version are controversial, but you can unlock classic Rondo of Blood and Symphony of the Night in that game package. Yeah, effectively it's giving great. you Requiem within The English version Dracula's. of Rondo, that's where the one that's on the Requiem collection comes from, mm. is the unlockable on Dracula X Chronicles. The problem yes, is- Yes, and, and the voice acting four, is so good. You have the to play through four levels so of Dracula X Chronicles, which is hideous. I have had to play that <laughs> multiple times on multiple different uh, PSP uh, consoles and variations of thereof to get those goddamn tokens. And like I, at, the, at the end, I was like, 
it, these these floating eye bastards will not let me get to this fucking token. <laughs> what is your problem? Yeah, floating eye hates the world. I don't think it's. I don't think I would throw Dracula X Chronicles on PSP, which is a remake of Rondo, completely in the trash. It still has like, oh, I see what they did there in the updating of this bit but it's annoying and it doesn't feel as smooth and slick or, and as impressive. And it's got kind of like janky old like PS1 era. It's a, it's a PSP, isn't it? Um, type graphics. Yeah. So it's going to be less easy to love. But like I said, the fact that it contains two absolute gems off this list, just as bonuses, like, oh, here's two masterpieces. You can play them as well. Thank you. Immediately puts main game in a drawer and never takes it back out again. Mainly because the process of unlocking those two is so punishing, it kills your enjoyment of the game. I would recommend buying it digitally anyway, simply because the UMD of it is very hard to track down. So if you can somehow play, if you've got a Vita, you can download it on that as well and play that. So I, I heartily recommend that as a, uh, a pastime. And find a, like find on YouTube exactly how to unlock those uh, two games. It, it'll take you maybe an hour. Symphonies in three, Rondo's in four. <laughs> That's the one. Um, and there was a remake of Rondo Blood on the uh, Super Nintendo called Dracula X or Vampire's Kiss. And it is, they deliberately made it different as much as they could to avoid um, legal litigation because it like, for some reason due to copyright, couldn't be too like uh, Rondo. And it's okay, it's not. It's, uh, I think the best thing about that is that um, it feels like at least you're controlling Richtor, who is a reliable-ish character, and uh, it has some great music, sort of a lot of the stuff rendered through the SNES is polyphonic sound again. But it's, it's frustrating relative to uh, Rondo. And uh, um, like in the middle of the first stage, you can go take the high ground along the rooftops, or you can take the low road. But if you take the low road, you get to a dead end. And it's like, yeah, you probably shouldn't have taken the low road. What you really need to be is up there on the high road. Cheers for signposting that. This was exciting. Apparently, I never got to the end, but like you're dangling over, a, you're dangling, you don't even know it, over a pit of fire, bouncing on, on very thin collapsing platforms. And it's just a nose. So and not- see, that's the key. Everyone hates Dracula X because it's not Rondo. But if you ignore the fact that it's not Rondo, if you've never played Rondo and you just play Dracula X, it's it's a pretty good Classicvania game. Yeah. Like it's not one of the, the tippy top, but it's not like it's not worth the hate it gets. It only gets the hate because it's not this other game. It's another one of those fine ones. Much like it's, uh, fine. it's fine, just like uh, the uh, it'll do X eight X sixty eight thousand version of the PS one remake of Chronicles. Uh, and, and, and this is not nostalgia talking, by the way, because I had never played either of these until I did these two streams. And I was playing through Dracula X going, why do people hate this? This is pretty good. Before and then get... I played Rondo the next day and yeah. went, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Before we get to the big kahuna, let's take a side road to what Konami thought. Uh, Castlevania was going to be doing, which is the N64. <laughs> they were like, let's just make, fuck it, yeah, I suppose we'll do Symphony of the Night as a side project. Yeah, you, you do it. Where the future is, is N64. We're 
We're gonna no. make all these games in 3D, and it's gonna be great. Everyone's gonna love it. Oh. 3D. The I first am. one has a level entirely made of shit, and the second one made Sharon so sick she had to put it down in I, seconds. Right, <laughs> I was racking my brains. I cannot think of an N64 game that I like the look of. Mario 64? Yes, alright! Yeah. Everything's made of triangles! Yeah, I mean, that's what they did in those days. I know. I, I, Sharon, I absolutely feel you. I, I'm a huge retro head. I don't have an N64. I it, there's a reason why it's on. taken this long to bring the classic version of N64 games to some kind of official Nintendo micro console or or even just online play. Again, I am a Nintendo 64 apologist, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> like I love the 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 portion of my life that the N64 represents. And so, like, and I'm, I'm the guy who beat and got all 120 stars in Mario 64 in Japanese. Whoa. I do not speak Japanese. It was a lot of running around and thudding my head against walls for <laughs> hours to get a star. And then in English, the name of the star tells you where it is, and I was pissed. But... <laughs> I think it's, um, if you cast your mind back, even as an apologist for the N64, I had Mario 64 before day one. I got the American um, N64, and it wouldn't work on UK power, so I had to get a power adapter. And it wouldn't work on UK TVs, because our TV wasn't NTSC compatible, so it was in black and fucking white. But when you f I finally got a like sold it, took the hit financially, and, and got a, a UK N64, it kept rendering brown. Like, I was just gonna say, the good thing about it being black and white is you couldn't see all the brown. There's so much fucking brown. Like, uh, the just think of the muddy level in Mario Kart 64 and and Conker's Bad Fur Day and that shit creature and the first level in Castlevania that I just mentioned and just the muddy path in in Mario 64. Just when they rendered brown with that low-res texture, it just looked terrible, and they did it so often. And he looks like a... you know those... Mud, wood, and shit look yeah. the same. It's, it's, there's so little differentiation, and then he looks like... you know those little wooden puppet things that people, artists oh, models? Oh, marionette. Oh, do you mean the, the artist model things? Yeah, yeah, the ones that, like, they have all the right yeah. joints in the Your right guy so you can shape runs them, around them, them. like that. But he just, he looks like a terrifying little puppet. Yeah, his little gonk thing with that <laughs> blank N64 expression. Yeah, that's the one. Now. Like I said, I'm a, a, a Nintendo 64 apologist. I, I know that most, damn near all of the early 3D games, somehow except for Mario 64, I don't know how that one was so good and so many others were just not hmm. that came afterwards. But like, they're all bad. I don't think that the Castlevania 64 games are any worse than any other bad 3D game. I just wanted I'm, to lay that. That's I'm not gonna. gonna I'm not gonna go. Oh, all the other 3D action games were really good. They weren't. I lived in GoldenEye 64. I adored Mario 64. I prefer Mario Kart 64 to the SNES version. I know, sacrilege. I like Wave Race and Pilot Wings. I completed Shadows of the Empire, and I played loads of PlayStation stuff. But the aesthetics, the presentation, the look of almost every game always felt like what it was a work in progress. So in consequence, when we look back at a difference of just a few years from SNES pixel art to N64 Everything's Triangles, one of them looks charming, and the other one looks like 
a gonk in the grip of existential crisis, just begging for the sweet release of death. That's why so many contemporary Metroidvanias look like they're pushing the Super Nintendo to its very limits, but nobody has a framed portrait of Dr. Doak on their wall. I actually felt nostalgic for the games that I played as a teenager as we moved into the 2000s and my 20s, and like, I, I never liked Medieval that much. I liked Metal Gear Solid and Tenchu, but they, like this was a janky era, and I didn't. I disliked the PS2 yeah. even more. It wasn't really until HD with Gears of War in 2005 on Xbox 360 that I was finally oh, okay. We've moved forward in gaming a little bit. It looks better. The textures look better. I can see what they were going for with Castlevania 64. I only played a little bit of this. Um, the whipping combat is better than you would think, considering you're using a straight line weapon in a 3D environment, mm -hmm. which sounds like it should not work at all. But the the auto lock on is surprisingly lenient. Mm -hmm. But yeah. the way the character actually runs around and controls, I feel like they were trying to take cues from Tomb Raider of all things. Mm -hmm. And oh my god, gorgeous. I I. I I the the I you know what I I I could go on about Tomb Raider, but the main thing that stuck out to me about playing the N sixty four Castlevania was that they dedicated most of the C buttons to alternate functions rather than controlling the camera. Mm. So to pick up items that enemies drop, you have to walk up to the item and press right yes. on the C pad. I was it's pressing awful. everything. It was like, <laughs> how do you pick this up? It should. It's right there. That was it's, nightmare ish. He's just stood it's over terrible. it looking at and it. I'm like not sure what I'm supposed down, to do. Tapping it with his head. I don't know. And, and when you're playing it with a modern controller, like I was playing this in emulation, I've got a, an Xbox One controller. Mm -hmm. All of those C buttons are mapped to your right stick. Yeah. So you had to tap the stick to the right to pick up stuff. And I was and like, the, who did this? <laughs> and, the, and the camera is... Yeah, it's bad. Like it's not like apocalyptically bad like some games, but like it gives you three options: a camera that follows you slowly, a camera that tries to stay on your back. It's the action camera, and then the battle camera that will vaguely lock on to the infinitely respawning skeletons. Yeah, twas not a good time for action games. <laughs> not as <sighs> such. Now, Legacy of Darkness. Mm -hmm. That's a, the one that made channel. Because it starts off by better? spinning around and around and around in and around boat. on a pirate ship. I just oh, yeah. and, the, and with the visuals giving me that, there's a there's a sort of a thing that goes on in my head when something on screen looks like it should be sharper and mm. more in focus, and it isn't. Yeah, and it just the N64 is full of that. Yeah, it makes me feel like I've been walking around all morning without my glasses. Weird on, mushy textures on yeah. polygonal pointy things. Yes, uh, like that just is the N64. Chewy, do like, go on. <laughs> Uh, like, it fixed... Okay, Castlevania 64 was released in January of whatever year. Um, so there we go, <laughs> 1999. Legacy of Darkness was released in December of 1999. Yeah. 99? Like, it was originally supposed to be called Castlevania Special Edition because it's that game with other stuff in it. Because you can apparently unlock Reinhardt and, what's her name, Carrie's stories in Legacy of Darkness, but you start as the werewolf guy. Cornette. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, 99, these games came out after Metal Gear Solid? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's the 64, so it's... But crap. it was, both Both were released by Konami, they knew better. 
it it fixed some of the problems. Like it had some camera controls on the C stick, and that felt so much better to be able to. All right, camera, work with me here. That that Mario sixty four, yeah, Mario sixty four thing. Where you're like, wait, a little bit more, a little bit more. All right, now I can make this jump. Whereas the original was like, like Pluto said, was like, nah, this is a camera. That doesn't work. Fuck you. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, let's move on to the good one, please. Oh, I love good ones. Castlevania Symphony of the Night was a semi-important game. <laughs> okay, um, when people say Metroidvania, this was the one that uh, that very specifically took its cue from uh, Super Metroid, which had come out just a few years previously on uh, Super Nintendo, and worked that into the Castlevania formula. So it gave you a map, and it gave you places to go, and it gave you things to open using effectively like relics that you'd find as keys so you could turn into a bat which means you can now fly up to here and get through this small tunnel you can turn into mist which means you can go through this grating you can turn into a wolf which means you can run across here you can smash down spikes you can run through there which seems like somehow this was the missing ingredient that just took castlevanias up to a brand new level and while all this shitty n64 stuff was still being developed they I wouldn't say perfected Castlevania as a series, but they they certainly brought it to a brand new level that they should that they then fortunately paid a lot of attention to on various handhelds. I mean, but, at the time, this pretty much was perfected. Yeah, yeah. It's it's not so much now. There's like, if you if you get a lot of items, a lot of armor, a lot of weapons throughout the game, and then you look in your item menu, it's just a bunch of higgledy piggledy garbage. So you're like. Hang on, this is the this is the earlier stuff stacked on top of the other stuff, and it doesn't. It's not very helpful when it tells me how to like ordering them, and like I've I've now played better Castlevanias in terms of arranging your items that make the the selection in this annoying. This one is not a personal favorite of mine, mm-hmm. uh, but I, it, it's it's one I absolutely recognize as great. And it really helped me when I thought about it more, nail down the difference between a Metroid game and a Castlevania game. Mm-hmm. Um, Metroid games lean a little harder on the puzzles and the environmental navigation, mm-hmm. but the Castlevania games, and this one like really nails this down, they really give you a lot to do in terms of combat. There's a lot of weapons. There's a lot of enemies. So many different kinds of enemies. And just a lot of interesting things to punch and beat up across the map that you were exploring. Whereas the Metroid games, they tend to give you like 15 or so things that climb on walls that you shoot. They all look like sea creatures that fly at you, and uh, yeah. they, they have a they have less uh, human characteristics than a lot of the uh, creatures and monsters you fight in Castlevania. They're so gorgeously animated in this game. They, the pixel budget, the pixel art budget specifically for this game, because it is on the PlayStation, yeah. is just through the roof. They did not have to worry about their memory limitations. They even got to do a few 3D tricks in the backgrounds. Yeah, they've got like a clock tower in uh, in the background as you climb up towards uh, Dracula's castle at the beginning. There's a point where you go into a cathedral and this deep background of stained glass windows moves along with you. 
And that made me wish there had been a Nintendo 3DS conversion of this. Could you imagine that? With Zelda A Link Between Worlds levels of depth, so it feels like you're holding a treasure box in your hand and looking into the castle. Oh, tingles. Folks who played retrofitted Sega classics like Streets of Rage and the Sonic 1 and 2 games and Gunstar Heroes that they released digitally for the system and in packs together in Japan. I can attest, these games feel fresh and strange and new and you, you really get a sense of the layered, beautiful, parallax scrolling artwork. And it's an abandoned system, so we'll never ever get that. Like I said, the uh, Rondo of Blood is the first part of a two-parter series here, and it really feels like those two should have taken the 90s by storm. It was, it did okay on the PlayStation, but it took being rediscovered for people to go, wow, that game was legit, and it kind of, it required Castlevania to, to keep putting out games that were kind of like it for people to go back at, like... I remember in the early 2000s, because they had sold their uh, run on this game, it was like a hundred quid for just this one game, and I'm assuming it went up even higher for like decent, pristine copies uh, as the years went on prior to the uh, perfect emulation of it. I saw a copy of Symphony at a used bookstore just like two weeks ago that said 250, and oh, I went, <laughs> Yeah. I mean, playing it on the original PlayStation isn't necessarily the best way to play it now anyway. there's um. Like the the one on the PlayStation 4, like there's a difference between the original release where like just the the script and the delivery on that opening section you've got it was not by my hand that I am now once again given flesh. Have a chew and just that like ostentatiousness and the camp has been switched on the PS4 one for a bit more grave, a bit more dramatic and and kind of more somber and atmospheric your your acting there was a little too good for okay. the uh, voiceover for symphony let's have a comparison we'll start with the playstation version and then the updated version that you'll get on playstation 4 and psp time monster you don't belong in this world it was not by my hand that i'm once again given flesh I was called here by humans who wish to pay me tribute Tribute? You steal men's souls and make them your slaves. Perhaps the same could be said of all religions. Your words are as empty as your soul. Mankind ill needs a savior such as you. What is a man? A miserable little pile of secrets. But enough talk. How about you? <laughs> It's kind of Revolver Ocelot. I think think he got it. (laughs) Nailed it. (laughs) Okay, so the new version. Dracula, die now and leave this world. You'll never belong here. Oh, but this world invited me. Your own kind called me forth with praise and tribute. Tribute? You're a thief. You steal men's souls, their freedom. Freedom is always sacrificed to faith, good hunter. Or are you truly here by choice? All I'm here for is you. To hell with your heresy! You're nothing but a blight on mankind. Ha! Mankind. A cesspit of hatred and lies. Fight for them, and die for their sins! I mean, it's not getting Emmys anytime soon. 
But I feel like this evokes a similar upgrade to the 1996 Resident Evil evolving into the GameCube remake. So yeah, I mean, now you're playing Alucard, and they like the the switching to a lot more swords and occasionally like magic wands and things on this guy and shields, and they really leaned into it being an RPG. So what you equipped would matter. It's a complete departure if you've just been playing the jump and whip ones up until then, and the music. Oh my god. Like, the first hour of the game is just a symphony that is very well named as a a game title. This was uh, also the first Castlevania game that uh, Ayami Kojima was brought on for. She does the absolutely gorgeous painterly covers. For these ge- for some of these games, she did not work on enough as far as I'm concerned, but oh my god, her style is like dripping with gothic uh, energy. Um, also gives me big um, clamp vibes, if you're familiar with that manga creation team. They did X and a little card, I think Cardcaptor Sakura was one of theirs. The sort of... Uh, we're just going to keep cramming on detail, but it will still somehow look like reasonable clothing. Before, it had that Frank Frazetta style, uh, like uh, up through the Nintendo series. Big, muscly dude, like, you know, with a brawny whip. And not the first two titles, but the third one onwards for this early stage were drawn by uh, American artist Tom Dubois, who did a lot of box art for Konami, and actually got brought back to do a uh, limited run alternate cover for Bloodstained Curse of the Moon to give it that NES box feeling. Bloodlines in Japan, they made Eric Lacard look androgynous and much more feminine, and it was just approaching this moment when uh, Kojima came along and made, like, there's this sort of dark, gothic there everyone almost looks like dolls and they're creepy and pale with like lots of frills and lace and ruffs and things and their expressions are curiously ambivalent it conveys a haunted quality of classic gothic art and she taught herself how to draw like this she didn't go to a a school she basically just observed what others did the term is autodidactic and just cleaved away at her art and then became someone who could just conjure this imagery. Uh, One funny thing that I've uh, always neglected to mention when talking about Symphony of the Night is there's a moment where Alucard talks to Maria from Rondo. Mm -hmm. Who's grown up now. Yes, with lots of leg on show. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But she says, have you seen Richter Belmont? And like a little thought bubble pops up over her head and you get like a, a pixel headshot of Richter and Alucard who is canonically from Castlevania 3 gets his own little thought bubble and he thinks of Trevor Trevor Belmont because that's the only Belmont he knows and in the thought bubble is the tiny little NES sprite which is apparently (laughs) how he remembers Trevor (laughs) 
was adorable. <laughs> This is the first Castlevania where they actually kind of get chatty. I mean, technically, Rondo, you get a bit more talking. Like, when you rescue... Because Dracula is big on kidnapping women in Rondo of Blood for some reason, and one of whom can be a playable character. But this is like... That, this is that, new hobby. Yeah, that chat at the beginning. And then, like, whenever um, Alucard runs through the castle, stops and then talks to Maria, who'll turn up again and help him a bit more, then chats with the librarian. It's a lot more chatty Cathy, uh, you know, and, and that would definitely persist through the uh, handheld uh, games moving on, to the point where sometimes I was like, yeah, yeah, yep, 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 moving on, please. See, for me, that was, I would I would say that's definitely one of the reasons why Symphony of the Night appealed mm. to me. Uh, it's number four on my top five. Mm -hmm. The visuals of it, it looks incredible. It's got that thing going on where you're, um, the, the, the detail that they managed to pack in to what is still at this point pixel art is incredible mm. and the, the music's amazing it's it's very smooth in terms of the flow it's for me it was rock hard to play and that yeah. was one of the things that it was that was a bit of a block it can be dispiriting when you're running to another place because mm. basically it's it's sprinting between save rooms now yeah. like as a as opposed to just clearing levels you're just trying to survive up until you get to the nearest save room. And there are occasional moments in Castlevania that, do you remember the stairs at the uh, west-hand side? Yes. you got to get all the way to the top and you get weakened all the way up there and then there's a fucking Phoenix boss there and like this is the only bit of the game, I think, of any Castlevania game that I can really uh, recall post this point where there isn't an obliging, very helpful save room right there to prevent you having to slog up those stairs again for when the Phoenix inevitably... Because you got to get up the stairs and then up lots of very identical-looking bell towers. That is a pain in the ass. And like mm -hmm. uh, in previous playthroughs, that's where I got stuck. But I didn't. I enjoyed watching you play this a lot. Mm. Yeah, it's lovely yeah, to watch. Be... It's lovely to listen to, and it's very responsive as a game. The designs that didn't just get uh, planted straight from uh, Rondo, the ones that originated in Symphony, mm -hmm. stayed. Yeah, I mean the um, and uh, bosses and all kinds of things. Loads of those all enemies the and way sprites they exploited. Like the, yeah, yeah, all the way through. Like I was playing the DS games, going, really, it's these same skeletons in the same night, really. Oh, yep. the spearmen again! I remember these guys. Yeah, <laughs> the fucking flea dudes are never going away. Oh look, it's a suit of armor with a rolling axe. I've oh seen yeah. That they throw them up high, they throw them down low. Oh, don't be don't be afraid if you're playing this one to look up a guide for how to get the secret second castle. Like, you're probably not going to figure it out yourself. Don't be ashamed. It's yeah, that's, pretty obscure. The, uh, the, this is where the series starts to get really intricate. The, the bosses were always really good. Most Castlevania games, those are the big set pieces. And honestly, for a game that, from Rondo onwards, had a recurring cast of enemy mobs, most of the bosses don't tend to repeat themselves. In fact, there's a reprise of the Bat Boss from the original Castlevania in Aria of Sorrow, and then it gets 
grabbed and crushed by this giant with laser eyes. Like, this is the boss that other bosses are scared of. Rondo's the first one where you can get uh, Maria as a second playable character. But like from this point onwards, most of the games, like you got to the end, and then after having done it Metroidvania style, they then give you a classic whip-happy Castlevania dude. Like uh, at the end of this, you get Richter Belmont and can kind of do a sprint-run version of, of Rondo of Blood, but through the same Dracula castle. Aria of Sorrow on the GBA, after you've done that you get Julius Belmont. At the end of Dawn of Sorrow on the DS, you can again play as Julius. The end of Harmony of Dissonance, you can play as Maxim. The end of Portrait of Ruin, you can unlock two sisters who work in tandem like your main two characters, or Richter Belmont again. The end of Order of Ecclesia, you can unlock Albus. And it's, it's really neat to like basically have a whole other game in the classic style, and like you can't pick up all the armor and the extra um, weapons, and your, your attack is very powerful to begin with because you've got to be able to take out the last boss. So it's a, it's a much faster run through the game. But exactly what you said about the inverse, inverted castle, like you get to the end of Symphony of the Night and you can find the boss and it's Richter Belmont, you kill him and it's like, okay, the end. And it's like, well, that, that felt like a, it was a bit of an anticlimax. But then there's a ring, a gold ring you can get and a something else you can get, um, which if you wear that and then the other thing at the same time in the right place. And then you kneel and you wait for the tornado. Yeah. <laughs> But if you know how to do it, you then take on Richter in a different way, and then that gives you the exact same castle again, but upside down, and filled with much more hostile enemies. So again, that those, those mad dashes of survival between here and the nearest save room, and I think this is one of the first ones that had warp points as well. Yes. Yeah. Teleportation pads, these are a godsend that lessen but do not eliminate backtracking in the castle. Though to counteract the complete change in balancing, Dracula has stopped putting Sunday roasts in the walls, and you can buy potions from a shop, but they're expensive and hard to come by, and eventually don't cover much of your energy bar anymore, and the ones that do are absolutely precious. Um, yeah, it just becomes this kind of like, I've got to stay alive, and again, this was the other time that I just got completely stuck, because I'm, like, I'm, I'm clearly not high enough on, the, the, uh, on my level to be able to take on these much more aggressive enemies, and it was kind of a, it becomes this very dangerous place to be. An often disorienting gauntlet to run. Yeah, the first time I played Symphony was the, the 360 uh, remake, or port, I guess. And I looked up how to get the inverted castle, and I did all that. I forget what the completed percentage is. It's like, it's like 212 or something. Or yeah, it's mean? like 106, and then you do the it again yeah. for the inverted castle or something yeah. like that. And then I did it again as Richter. Hmm. I played this game for weeks and possibly <laughs> months, and I loved it. And I went, no wonder this spawned an entire genre of yeah. Castlevania games. Holy crap. Well, but then was, they were was... all on portable systems. I couldn't freaking play them. That was very intentional on Igarashi's part. Is uh, he uh, started on Symphony of the Night with the intention to make it a beefy game? Because mm. the other games are hard, but once you know what to do, it's like two, three hours. And so there were just a lot of them in like used bins at stores. And he's like, that, that doesn't seem right. Castlevania should have a little bit more. 
Uh, Gravitas is a series. It should be something people remember. Mm. Mm. He made it grand, definitely. And it's noteworthy that while this creatively influenced most of the Castlevania games moving forwards, this being on the PlayStation means that almost every system after that was a downgrade. Not in terms of quality of gameplay, but in terms of what the machine could do to render this. So for example, Aria of Sorrow, they're really trying to make it feel like Symphony of the Night, but it's on Game Boy Advance hardware, which is as much of the Super Nintendo as they could squeeze into a shell of that size. It took until the latter DS games to really kind of approximate, if not meet, the levels of presentation they were able to hear back in 1997. And then of course we finally got Bloodstained Ritual of the Night, but more on that later. And that would also account for why people were not letting go of their copies, hence 250 bucks. <laughs> now, yeah. which is crazy. Just get man. the Requiem back. <laughs> yeah. If you want to play, I mean, that's for your wall, for your museum, for your collection, more than for playing. Like this time around, because I was using a guide for everything that was foxing me, I ended up ridiculously overpowered. You know that? Um, there's one boss way down, in, or in this case, way up in the uh, uh, catacombs, who's just this cheating fucker. I, 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 he's like a giant golem something or other. Um, oh, that guy. Galamoth, his name was. And I, I got somehow to a ledge and just started hitting him in the face. But it, my hit, because my weapon was particularly fast, it was interrupting his next attack. So I just went hit, 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 hit. <laughs> And eventually that gave me, um, like, I, I managed to beat him and got gas form. And gas form means you just kind of hover over enemies and they die. It's glorious. But since it was, like, the last thing I did in the whole game, I didn't really get to use it all that much. I just had to get maximum satisfaction from gassing those big blooming plant things that are just a pain in the ass to wade through. That is the time-honored... Castlevania tradition of cheesing a boss. Cheesing. It's it started in the first Castlevania when you could just throw uh, holy waters at Medusa and stunlock her until she exploded. Mm. That's the one. Oh, speaking of Medusa, I never really talked about uh, in Bloodlines. After playing against Dracula so many times, they have this uh, antagonist named Elizabeth Bartley, who you get told about at the beginning of the game. She's like a vampiress. She looks like Elizabeth Bathory, and it's like, oh, she's going to be awesome. So she's the big bad at the end of this one. You get all the way to her through um, her new castle, which isn't Dracula's castle, and she just sort of turns up, doesn't speak to you, which again felt weird because everyone had been getting chatty in my uh, in Symphony of the Night, which I was playing at the same time and then just immediately turns into the Gorgon boss from uh, Super Castlevania. You beat her, and then she's dead. It's like, what the fuck was the point of telling me it was her? Because then Dracula comes out. He's like, it is I. It was always me. Blair. <laughs> and then he turns into, like, four different things, and they're annoying. So, yeah, that, that was a letdown for Bloodlines. I would have really appreciated, basically... Uh, the boss in Curse of the Moon with the blood bath before you get to the castle. The that that's uh, Elizabeth. That was very Guillermo del Toro looking. The one with the parasols that you got to jump on top of, but also hide underneath, like the uh, mermaid boss in Order of Ecclesia when she floods the whole bathroom with blood. In this oh, case, yeah. that's that's. Oh, a we're talking about curse. Yeah, no, curses. Bosses are fan bloody tastic. They really are. Yeah. 
Let's Except figure we'll get to that last one, which can go fuck himself. <laughs> I got all the way up to this boss who's got two stages. The first one's really fun. The second one really wears you down and all your characters are kind of bottoming out. And if you die with one, you're never going to beat him with any of the rest of them on zero energy. So you literally have to throw the other three to their deaths so that you can start back up again properly. Ah, oh, that's the only bum note from that game. And could have been so easily fixed by checkpointing that second stage of the fight. Let's go to the PS2 for Lament of Innocence and Curse of Darkness, not to be confused with Bloodstained Curse of the Moon that I was just talking about. I, I have these games and I've actually finished them. So um, Lament of Innocence is the earliest point in the Castlevania timeline. It is story-wise an attempt to establish why the Belmonts are fighting Dracula and where they got the cool whip. You can't have a pie without cool whip. Yeah, it, it's kind of... Uh, I don't want to say Rise of Skywalkery, but that's sort of like prequel where they're like, we don't have an interesting character story to tell you. We're just going to explain things. Oh. With the um, power of fridging. Yeah, that. And the, the, the reason the whip is powerful is because you killed your girlfriend with it and she was about to turn into a vampire. Okay. <laughs> yeah, no fun. Okay, so gameplay-wise, Lament of Innocence is uh, very Devil May Cry. Mm -hmm. There's a castle you wander around in that teleports you to different areas, kind of Demon Soulsy, and the camera is fixed. It's just sort of locked up in the rafters of every room you walk into, and you just have to deal with that. And there's just not a lot of combos, and the bosses aren't... I, I don't know. I did not care for Lament of Innocence. I found it very dull. Um, it gets yeah. a little better as you get later on, and you get a couple more air juggly combos. And, like, there's some optional bosses and a fire whip you can find. Like, it's not, it's not a complete waste of time, but I found it very tedious and dull. Yeah. I streamed this one. So I was trying to spend, like, 30 minutes on each game just to get a a feel for how it played and then move on to the next one. Was it mostly Lament, having stuff explained to you, but very little uh, action? There there was a lot of explanation and the tutorial about how to d a double jump and how to do the whip mm -hmm. jump thing and all that. And when I finally found combat, I'm like, yay. And I think I ended up playing this game for like an hour, not because it sucked me in, be because I was waiting for something to happen. Uh, that's <laughs> not going to happen. Because it's no. a lot of corridor skeletons. Go through this door. Corridor. Skeletons. Go through this door. Guess what? You move what? to the Corridor. next section. You kill all the skeletons there. You move to the next section. And it, it just it, went on and on. And that's... I feel so bad because that's when Toby uh, came into the stream. And it was just Lament of Innocence. And by the time Toby left, it was still Lament of Innocence. And I'm like, I'm just done. Nothing good like, for I'm you, Toby. To Sorry. Yeah, it, I was trying to find like a high or a low to end on because every game I would either die stupidly and it would start me way back there and I'd be like, nope, we're done. You should or have I'd played one of the N64 like, awesome. games. Those are all low. Yeah, or I'd fight a boss and be like, that was awesome. Okay, let's go to the next game. But this one was just, it just, it outlasted me. Yeah. <laughs> the, 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 it's most typified by the fact that at the end of the plot, the vampire who uh, stole your girlfriend just gets like stabbed and his power stolen by someone. And then that vampire becomes Dracula and fucks off. And the final boss is the Grim Reaper, who 
it it sounds cool, but the Grim Reaper is usually second banana in Castlevania mm. games to Dracula. I was going to say, in terms of lore, that's one of the only bum notes for me because death is something natural. It's part of all of life. Dracula is something unnatural. And having death be Dracula's lackey feels really wrong, and it happens over and over again. Death's really chuffed to work for Dracula. <laughs> Death actually in one of the games brings Dracula back, or is trying to. Death's like, I love Dracula, he's really good at giving me work. <laughs> it's rubbish, he's like a job's worth. So you're saying death is the bottom. Yeah, but but having said that, death's like got real presence at the beginning of both Rondo and um, Symphony. Symphony. So, like, I like his inclusion in the games. I kind of just wish he hadn't been death, just like a, a revenant that looked like death, or maybe called himself death but wasn't actually death. So I I can't recommend Lament of Innocence mm. to anyone. The soundtrack is pretty killer though. It and Michiro beautiful Yaman. Kojima art again. Yes, a lovely cover. Absolutely a great collector's item and not stupidly expensive. Like, there's not a lot of them out there, but it's also just not a game a lot of people care about. There's not many PS2 game covers you would want on your wall, but that's one of them. Now, Curse of Darkness is... Wait, wait, wait. I, we, we're going to get too far, Phil. It's not going to be funny anymore. I, I just got this image of death at when he confronts... Uh, 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 Alucard at the beginning of Symphony. Mm -hmm. He's like, he's like, what are you doing here? And he's like, who are you? And I'm Death. He's like, Alucard just looks like, you're not Death, you're Steve. Darkness is about Hector and Isaac, yes, from the anime. Isaac is a lot different from the anime. Oh my He's like, goodness, he is. The, his outfit is uh, really something. It's just kind of like chains and leather, and he's got red hair, and he's pale white, and he's like hitting on Hector at every possible moment, but in that like sleazy villain way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, oh, he's so, coded queer so hard. Yeah, uh, good change there, anime. That's all I gotta say there. Oh, yeah, also, they made the, it fascinating. There's also the Count, the weird wizard guy from the later seasons, is also in this game. Mm -hmm. So that was very neat. So, plot-wise, Hector, this actually takes place right after Castlevania three. Mm -hmm. uh, the Dracula, Dracula's curse on the NES, yeah. Yeah, Dracula is dead, and in this timeline, it's basically said that Hector betrayed Dracula, which is how he got killed. Uh, they don't really give a lot of details on that, but Isaac is, like, pissed at Hector for betraying their master, so he kills Hector's girlfriend. Hooray. My More... dead family. Yeah, my dead family, and Hector, Hector dives headfirst into that trope. So he's trying to hunt down Isaac and kill him. Mm. 
And over the course of the game, he meets some people and does some stuff, and Dracula gets re- revived. It's it's not a very gripping story. It's entertainingly told, if only because Isaac is pretty fucking out there. Mm. And also, Trevor I... shows up. Oh, cool. Nice. Yes, which is very cool. He's a boss at one point that you have to defeat. Very neat. The so you can add like section. a plus 10 to your enjoyment and interest in this game if you have seen the TV show. Yes, it's it's just neat to see all the things they did. Gameplay-wise, it's more Dynasty Warriors, and I'm talking like classic Dynasty Warriors than Devil May Cry. You hit the attack button like three, four, five times, and then you hit the finisher button to do like one big area clearing attack. Okay. Um, not super interesting there, but you have uh, devils that you summon to do combat with you. Oh, oh my. Yes, I I liked this a lot. You, you start out with this little fairy who can just heal you either automatically or at a button is press. This because he's a forge master and can literally create these things. Yes, that is literally why he can do that. He also forges his own weapons. So nice. like you don't get many whip weapons in this game, but you get a lot of axes and swords. Oh, and there's, so there's a surprising amount of... Ver- there's a surprising amount of variety there, but it, the real meat is in the devil mechanics, because, like, you get a fairy, you get, like, a golem, and the golem can, like, go down an evolution tree, mm-hmm. depending on how you level him up, and you can end up with, like, a skeleton warrior. Skeleton warriors! <laughs> or a yeti with a friendship pouch. Or, like, that samurai ghost with, like, the arrows sticking out of his helmet. Nice. It's... And there's, like, you get a bird companion. Oh, my God. It, it triggered my addiction addiction receptors hard, this whole grinding up your friends mechanic. I loved it to death. I would love I, them I, to do a Metroidvania remake of this. Just kind of, like, reimagine the PS2 game into a, a 2D side-scroller. Yeah, because though I love this game, the level design is very boxy. It's basically they took a 3D Metroidvania map from a side view, mm-hmm. turned it into the floor, and all the rooms are just boxes. It's There's nothing super spectacular about this game aside from the uh, grinding up your devil friends mechanic, which if, if that's something you're into, you're going to be very into Castlevania does Pokemon. Okay, well, how about like a remake with uh, anime-looking graphics and using the not only the the appearances but the voice actors from the uh, TV show and just kind of reimagine the game but as a side, as a metroidvania that could really work yeah, yeah. cuz like hector's design is basically what you saw in the anime a little less fancy cuz you know they they had to draw that a lot more but yeah no it'd be very recognizable solid game soundtrack absolutely slaps art's great get it on xbox if you got an original xbox floating around it's cheaper there for some reason of the the 3d castlevania games my ranking is in reverse chronological order like curse was my favorite Mm -hmm. lament was next Mm -hmm. legacy and then 64 like they just they got better with every one. I okay. haven't played either of the Lords of Shadow uh, okay. games, but I'm sure those would rank even higher. We did. Um, we'll talk about them in just a bit. Uh, back to the Game Boy Advance, and we've got Circle of the Moon, Harmony of Dissonance, and Aria of Sorrow. <laughs> Uh, 
start with Circle of the Moon all the way back in the year 2001. It, this one suffered <laughs> from feeling a little bit like a Game Boy Color game and not really pushing the GBA hardware. It's a bit dingy on the old original GBA screen, looks way better on something backlit or, you know, pixel perfect now. Uh, it's, it doesn't feel connected to the other games because none of the characters are, are people you know. Most of the, the enemies aren't people you know. It's almost like a Castlevania alike. It's thus uh, non-canon. Yeah, this is the other one that I know of that's non-canon. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, uh, specifically because Igarashi was not involved in yeah. this one. Like it, it's on the really? family tree of Metroidvania games, but he personally did not work on this one. Yeah. Oh, it shows. Yes. <laughs> like not in a bad way. Like at all of the GBA games, I thought were were good, but this one was my least favorite of the three. Yeah, it's still good. Most it's notably because it's one of the fine games. Like, you know, Nathan it's fine. Graves just moves so damn. Whoa. Yeah, and the sprite's quite small as well and unimpressive, and they don't have. A, there's no no one has any real personality in the game. Although it does start with Carmilla and like Dracula going, "So how's it going, Dracula?" And then you get dropped through a trapdoor and fall for an incredibly long amount of time into the bowels of Castle Dracula, which is a good dramatic opening. Your legs are broken. Yeah, I mean they're dead. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, it, it's a, it's a serviceable game. It's it's one that you could probably leave till afterwards when you're sort of feeling the yen for it. It actually has a bit more of a feeling of the original whip games uh, whip and jump uh, sometimes timing more than, is definitely yeah. more important on this yeah. one which is why I didn't like it but you can miss <laughs> things and the end game stuff gets quite frustrating and, and like a grinding chore so let's move swiftly on from Circle of the Moon uh, also just called Castlevania on the GBA I wish they wouldn't do that <laughs> like give it a name you can't have a series of 30 titles and then in Utter arrogance, call yourself just the name of the series. Star Trek. Um, <laughs> Harmony of Dissonance is the one where you're uh, controlling a guy who looks a little bit like Dante and a little bit like Alucard, and his name is Just. And he's just. boring as hell, <laughs> and he has this weird blurry effect when he jumps. But he has a uh, like a long-reaching whip, which after you've played quite a lot of sword-based Castlevania, feels like, oh, thank God, we're back to a proper long whip here. And although the music's kind of mangled and it's not from the... Uh, um, the what's the name of the uh, uh, composer of Bloodlines? Michiro Yamane. That's the one, yeah. She's taken a break on this one, and, and, and most people note that. There were a couple of tunes that stuck in my head, mainly just because I played so much of it. So even when it's discordant, it's catchy. Castle A and Castle B, rather than the inverted castle, and they're kind of mashed together. So you're like, okay, I've explored this bit, and then I've explored this bit, but have I explored both bits? And it keeps telling you you haven't quite explored everything, and you're like, okay, I'm just running around trying to fill in space on the map here. It's fine. It's very bright, because the- Oh yeah, uh, it's garish at times. People forget, but the GBA original did not have a backlit screen, and the yep. SP's backlight wasn't particularly good, so, like, some games for the GBA mm. will just crank up, like, the contrast really high or whatever. The SP so was a front light. It, it, it threw a little light on the screen. There was a backlit one that came later, but that was more expensive and around, difficult to find. And then the micro was fully backlit, but again, expensive, difficult to find. So that means that, yeah, a lot of people were playing on screens they couldn't even see myself included for far too long. So Circle of the Moon looks terrible on that hardware, and Harmony of Dissonance looks garish as hell on the big screen. Micro is underrated. Is, yeah. is that why uh, Juiced has the blue outline? Yeah, so it's so out that you can screen? see him more. Okay. 
Yeah. Like, I, I made note of it while I was playing. I, I actually like, of the three GBA games, just from a feel, mm-hmm. because I only played each one for like 30 minutes, I liked this one the best. Oh, right. Just because Juice felt good to, to play as. But the blue outline, uh, I liked. Yeah. Because, like I said, it makes him pop off the screen when everything is, is really bright. But, like, what's with the outline? I hated that in Symphony of the Night, too. The, the outline that always followed... Not the outline, but the, the blurry the after, image. After, after image. Yeah. Alucard. That that pissed me off. And then Juice just has it all the time. Yeah. I'm like, stop that. Um, just, uh, folks, if you're at home and you can do this, and to our esteemed guests, just type into Google Images, Harmony of Dissonance, Final Boss, and look at this eyesore. <laughs> I hope you like pink on red. A uh, quick note on the uh, music for this one being kind of eh. Mm-hmm. The GBA mechanically would ah! run its ah, uh, audio processors through like the same processor. Like uh, basically everything was drawing from the same like computer load. Mm-hmm. So like having better music would legitimately impact the game's ability to have graphics. Right. Ah. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> well, standing still, Juiced looks okay. I mean, it's it's definitely a playable game. This was actually the first Castlevania I completed, so it's not it's not rubbish by any means. Um, and another good thing about Juiced is he has like a, a lunge forward attack um, sort of movement, which allows you to basically speed run the castle at ridiculous uh, levels, which is helpful when you're basically just trying to fill out all the corners. And I missed that when I played the next one, which is a superior game, but really should have given you that ability to run really fast much sooner. I was about to stop streaming Harmony mm-hmm. when I accidentally pressed the shoulder button because I forgot that there were shoulder buttons on mm-hmm. the, the GBA. And he did a backstep like yeah. um, like uh, Alucard. Uh, uh, Alucard, thank yeah. you. And I was like, oh, cool. And I pressed the other button and he dashed forward. And I went, oh, you and I played for like 10 more back? minutes just because of that. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> These are hard to get hold of now. GBA games, you can get hold of them on the Wii U Virtual Console. If that store is still available and open, I think you have to buy the money using your Switch account or something and then like trick the Wii U Virtual Console into letting you. And they're reasonably priced at like seven bucks each, but a a Switch collection would be grand. What is it with these franchises ignoring their mobile games? Like if the Zelda, they would release a Zelda collection of just like the handheld games. Mm-hmm. I would buy that three times. I know, I know. Or or remake them all in that gorgeous Link's Awakening way. Um, I don't even need that. I just want to be able to play the games legally. <laughs> also, <laughs> shut I- up and take my money. <laughs> Aria of Sorrow is the third and final uh, one on the GBA, and uh, some people actually prefer this one to Symphony of the Night. This was my favourite for a while. Talk about it, Sharon. You've not been able to talk about it. Well, okay, so this one, again, the thing that hooks me is always going to be interaction. And this one. Oh, they won't stop yammering in this. Exactly. This (laughs) one opens with so much interaction, and I was sat there going, yes! Characters! Story! (laughs) Love it! (laughs) 
It's so much like an anime, he practically really falls is. into the boobs of a passing girl. It really girl. is. It's like, it's so long before you're actually playing anything. And then when you are, it, in terms of how it felt and the, the moving around and everything, it's very similar to Symphony. Mm. Um, this the, is that one with the music that goes onward to glory I go. That's the one. From, <laughs> from Don Quixote, Man of La Mancha. With us soever they blow Onward to glory I go Which may also have been why I liked it. Um, but I just, I, I found the, the little nods to the Dracula story mm. and, and the, the whole, we're going to change a few letters and you won't know it's the same person. Yeah. Mm. This no. is Mina Hakuru. Hakuba. <laughs> it's Mina Harker. Yeah. <laughs> Only she's a small ginger anime girl. Well, indeed. But yeah, so the, the, the visual. Oh, and this is in the future as well. Oh, they yeah. don't make I any use that. of the fact that it's in the year None 2035. Whatsoever. They tell you it's the year 2035. If they didn't tell you, you wouldn't like, know. Ooh, laser guns? No. Well, it's Dracula's castle, so Not it still looks the same. I'm going to need you to get, get up some, off my you back get about some that. Grenades. <laughs> you get some grenades from a skeleton. And I was like, that's okay, true, yeah, so yeah. that's yeah. the future, yeah, I guess. True. So it could have been 1942. Futuristic. Though. We've got you some gunpowder. <laughs> oh, thank you. Futuristic. Robert. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, continue. Um, but just, and again, I think it was some of the little anime touches in the um, the actual gameplay that I, I couldn't tell you why it appealed to me so much. But just things like Soma's um, overcoat and the way mm. it kind of flies. He's back. got yeah, he's got kind of a like when he runs, it flies out behind him like the cape of uh, Alucard. But also like he's got that kind of. When he does the whip sword movement, which is just one uh, weapon in the game, he actually kind of, if you look at the frames, he sweeps his coat back to whip and then puts, returns the whip to his hip. It's a really cool, like, mm. blended move of, of fabric moving. But I couldn't understand why I took to this one so much, because it is the least gothic of all of them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Oh, no, the second, the one after this on the uh, DS uh, with the same guy, Soma Cruz, is even more anime, even down to the front cover. Mm. This one at least had Kojima artwork on the front. Yeah. I think it was her last one too, unfortunately. Oh, that's depressing. Oh, she did luckily do the, she did a uh, limited edition cover for Ritual of the Night. So she, she has come back for one. But uh, that's a damn shame. Didn't manage to finish this one, but I did understand why someone would prefer it to Symphony of the Night, because Ari of Sorrow is much more comfortable with its RPG mechanics. Mm. Uh, every single monster in the game, and there are many different types, has a chance of dropping a thing. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot more weapon variety. The menu makes sense, even with the fewer buttons on the GBA. It just... Mm -hmm. It, it knows how to be what it's trying to be a little bit more gracefully than Symphony of the Night, even though it does take a little bit of hit in presentation. They could have elevated Castlevania several years beforehand, but I guess it, it took Metroid taking that step for Castlevania to iterate. And coming at this from the future, because I've never played any of these games, mm -hmm. uh, I've played, you know, Bloodstained Ritual of the Night, I'm, I'm almost done. I'm at 70-some percent, I think. Um, it's really awesome with... Bloodstained, for those that don't know, is Castlevania with the serial numbers filed off. Mm -hmm. 
because Igarashi was like, I want to make a new Castlevania. And Konami went, did you say Pachinko? Pachinko machine. No. You can have <laughs> a pinball machine what? or a Pachinko machine. We don't do that. And Igarashi as long as said, it's got erotic violence, we're fine. With blackjack and hookers. <laughs> and, and he did. And that's what I've been playing. And it's really awesome to go back through and see where things that live in uh, Ritual of the Night Originate. came from. Yeah, they, they have shards instead of souls, don't they? Yeah, and Aria of Sorrow is where the each uh, enemy monster has a soul you can absorb that Ritual of the Night has, which is one of my favorite parts of that game. Mm. And I'm like, oh, that's where it came from. That's so cool. <laughs> Uh, it's it's a very slick package. I think I I felt like I'd been on more of an epic journey at the end of Symphony, whereas this one I like the Chaos Realm at the end of uh, uh, Aria is a pain in the ass because you can't see the map. So I had to basically go off a map I found online and just work out roughly where I was each time. And just, again, it's that desperate rush towards the uh, the save room that you got to try and get to. But the the Chaos Realm was instead of the inverted castle. Also, those floating gardens at the top of the castle, those are a pain in the ass too. But the actual game itself is solid and has a beautiful soundtrack and uh, it's it's a memorable, fun adventure. It's got a real, like I love the different areas of the castle, which were a little bit boring in um, Harmony of Dissonance. I think somebody pointed out that uh, you're first off you're in underground caverns, and then you're in a bell tower, and then you're in hell, and those are all seemingly on the same level in Harmony of Dissonance. <laughs> I mean, that sounds about right, yeah. 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 Uh, whereas <laughs> Aria of Sorrow feels much more like an organic place, and something about the geography of Dracula's Castle when it's done right, and you've got the catacombs at the bottom, and the lofty battlements at the top, it gives it a real place, a sense of place the way that the Spencer Mansion and the uh, Raccoon City Police Station had. I love that. And again, Harmony of Dissonance is a fine Metroidvania. And again, Dracula X, I think I was a little bit too harsh on. It's a good SNES game, but seemingly not many people played it because I only ever heard about Super Castlevania 4 when I was younger. And we definitely couldn't have been like, well, I far prefer Rondo of Blood and this is a uh, weak imitation because we didn't even know Rondo of Blood existed. And we yeah, move on Aria to is... DS or something else now? Uh, let's do the other ones before the DS. We've already mentioned Dracula X Chronicles on the PSP. So, Adventure Rebirth on the Wii. Anyone remember this one? Anyone ever play it? No, nope. I I played it last night for way longer than I probably oh should man, have. Have you got the Dolphin emulator? I do, and I, and I found uh, actually one of one of my listeners uh, sent it to me, uh, sent me the the ROM for it, and I managed to get it to work. And God it's, bless that listener. Yes, pinball. If you listen to this, thank you so much. It's so good considering it's a remake of literally the worst game. <laughs> Castlevania Adventure on the Game Boy, remade for WiiWare, I think circa what? 2007 or 8. Uh, oh. Hang on, if I click on it, it'll give me a date. Oh, 2009. Uh, 2009, yeah. yeah. They did a, a series of uh, rebirths with Contra. It is a crime. 
like straight up it's illegal that you can't play this game anymore unless you already own it or you're playing it you know illegally yeah Gradius Rebirth because, was the third one. And this is, yeah, as you say, absolutely impossible to buy because the Wii Virtual Console Marketplace ended years ago. Yeah, it's just and gone. it hasn't been re-released anywhere. Anywhere, and that's so stupid. And clearly because, this could totally be played on the Switch. Just put it out for a oh, couple 100%. of quid and people will buy it and enjoy it, economy. Because, okay, so they took... Castlevania The Adventure. The first Game Boy game, later improved upon by Belmont's Revenge, Christopher Belmont. It's not a straight remake, thank God, because that game was short and boring. It's got uh, six levels instead of four. It's got sub-weapons. When you get hit, you don't lose your whip upgrades anymore, but the final upgrade that shoots fireballs is timed. So you only have it for a short, like, uh, it's like a minute or 30 seconds or something, I don't know. It looks but, gorgeous. Not a million miles off of Order of Ecclesia's graphical qualities, or maybe Rondo. Yeah, and it's it's not that it's, you know, amazing. Still got stairs, so Sharon's going to hate it. It's smoother than Rondo, but yeah, I think I, that mm. I can definitely see some... Um, Commonalities, yeah. There, yeah. Continue, yeah. sorry. It's, it's not that it's amazing, but it's, it's really good. Like, mm. it's not Rondo. Okay, hang on, let me check my ranking. Because, of course, I have rankings written down. Because that's what you do after you get done playing a bunch of stuff. Absolutely. I have it... Uh, okay, this was done after my 10-hour stream last night. <laughs> so uh, you were so I have it right... I have it... It goes Rondo, Bloodlines, Super, Dracula X, Adventure Rebirth. Right. So... That area between Super and like Chronicles... If it's those slightly can go in any less order, good than Dracula X, it, it ranks as fine. <laughs> like I, I enjoy. Like I said, I played through. I got to level three, mm. so I played it probably for I don't know forty five minutes. And considering this was the end of the night, and I was trying to get through all of them, and I just kept going, uh, that that should give you an idea of how much I was just enjoying the classic. What did you, what do you call it? Whip and jump feel. Yeah. And whip and, and I, yeah. An absolute crime that this is not available freaking anywhere. And also a quite worrying example of how games can now just disappear. If they exist only online and there was no hard copy ever made for them, and the developers have no interest in re-releasing them, they simply won't be released. And in these cases, it's not even... Like, it's not even easy to find them emulated. It's not easy to emulate uh, the Wii. So uh, it's uh, th- this one's problematic. And uh, there's another one coming up. Uh, Judgment, Judgment is the Soul Calibur-type fighting game with characters no. redesigned by the uh, artist behind Death Note. Anyone ever play this? This nope. is the one that I have access to that I refused to play last night. It's not really a Castlevania <laughs> game, is it? It's more like a um, a, a fighting game with Castlevania it's, characters. It's like a bad Soul Calibur cosplaying as bad Castlevania, from the, what I understand. Uh, character redesigns are all basically Isaac from Curse of Darkness, mm. but with more spiky bits. And so, I, oh. I, yeah, no. I, so you don't I, even I, really I like, recognize these characters. I do not have a problem with the artist from Death Note, but these are his designs, and they have very little to do with the original characters. 
Yeah. And uh, then there's Harmony of Despair. which a lot of people haven't heard of, and I've been playing a lot of in the past week or so, on and off. This is uh, one that was launched on Xbox Live Summer of Arcade. Anybody remember those? Oh yeah. Where it was like four uh, high quality games that would be spotlit over the course of the summer in the late tw 2000s. And yeah, this is where we got things like Braid, yeah. games like Limbo. Limbo. I knew you were gonna say Limbo. Um, yeah, like Bastion. The, the Summer of Arcade was something to look forward to oh, every yeah. year. Yeah, it was great. Bastion was the Summer of Arcade one. Yeah, it was. Yeah. <laughs> Bastion and, uh, by the same people who later made Hades. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and this thing kind of came out, and I didn't get it because at the time I was like, I want, like, I had just bought uh, Symphony of the Night a few years previously and got stuck on it. And I'm like, I'm not plan buying a multiplayer version of that. It looks chaotic. I won't like that. As it turns out, it's it's a really unique Castlevania experience that still very much feels like Castlevania, unlike the the fighting game, Soul Calibur style Judgment. Kind of a little big planet, but you get all your Castlevania characters onto one massive map that you can either zoom in close on, so you're you're running along the in a, a familiar Castlevania level, or you zoom out all the way to what looks like you're looking at the side of this massive castle doll's house diorama and it's this intricately working clockwork labyrinth where they show you the boss and you got to get to him within 30 minutes and everyone can work together and you can open doors with levers you can play it on your own or you can play it online and on the ps3 version which came out after the 361 you can actually play it local co-op and i really wish both versions had this because that would mean sharon could play with me um right and it's really fun. Like I, I played with Toby uh, several times this week. I, you have to finish the levels to be able to unlock the next five that come with the regular package. I bought loads of DLC levels just because I liked playing it so much and I wanted to be able to get to the other levels. Plus you can buy all kinds of extra characters. Richter Belmont, the 8-bit Simon Belmont, the dude from Getsu Fumaden, who you just heard the music of, Julius Belmont, and Yoko Belnades. I met a couple of complete strangers who just romped me through the levels. Like I, I was like, I, I, could, I couldn't talk to them really. You can express an emote to them. And this guy just took off and he went and killed, he hunted down the boss in minutes and murdered him in seconds. I'm like, <laughs> I spent the whole half hour trying to kill this fucking giant lumbering bastard on, on uh, level t uh, three. And this guy does it in seconds. Like he just ran up to his foot and went, and just it was it was absurd. But it's a bit of a that's a bit of a Dark Souls moment there when yeah. you get a summon who really knows what they're doing. Honestly, yeah, it it felt like Dark Souls, but it, but it's got like it plays reorchestrated metal versions of Castlevania uh, classic tracks. And yeah. you there's like a whole bunch of um, it's like Super Smash Bros. And it just has a bringing back heroes from the whole series who you know all have different attributes and you can pick up different armors and different weapons and 
like this is fun to play together and I went I hung out with this one person for like half an hour on this one evening and they basically unlocked levels three four five and six for me so like I can I can now access all of these areas on the map and just try and get better um, items doing them on your own is hard doing them with a friend is still hard but much more fun because you can kind of coordinate and talk over Skype uh, but it's it's hard to find people who want to buy this 10-year-old game with loads of expensive DLC, no Game of the Year version, no disc version, and for some reason it's never been re-released on a modern platform like Switch. It's crazy. Well, um, I haven't touched this one, but I do have the new Xbox, mm -hmm. which... Um, it's back compat, definitely. Yeah, it's shockingly backwards compatible with some 360 games, and this uh, one totally is available. Xbox, yeah, yeah, it, yeah so you, it, it, it is available on a modern platform. It costs about uh, like 12 bucks, so it's not cheap. But it's, uh, at, you know, for, for something that you might not get that much play out of. But um, I, I played one run last night mm -hmm. just because, oh, hey, this actually uh, plays in the emulator. Uh, and and I, I, I was originally just going to look around and then I saw that I could be Shanoa mm -hmm. and make her purple. And I yeah. went, oh. so I did a run as Shanoa, had no idea what I was doing, <laughs> got to the end or found found the boss and got stepped on. Mm -hmm. He'll do that. And I went. What? And then it took me back, and it was like, okay, now buy things to make you stronger. And I said, oh my god, it's a not roguelike. And when he said buy things, it's in-game currency. It's not like microtransactions. The only things you can buy are new levels, new characters, new music. But the actual package you start with is very generous to begin with. There are more characters to select from than most people will be comfortable getting to know all the kinks of. It doesn't have the random generation that mm -hmm. roguelites typically do, yeah, but it's, it's got the run-based progression. Yeah, it is, but basically, you, when you run through, if you get killed, whatever you picked up, you get to keep. So like, if you picked up a, a, a sun hat, and that sun hat gives you a stat boost, you can select that from your armor loadout the next time you run through. So yeah. it encourages you to run through, get killed, and run through again. And Which you get more powerful as you do. go. And the more you use one character, the more you kind of feel out the kinks in their workings and the balancing. Like, so, for example, um, the the girl from Portrait of Ruin is basically a priest, but she needs to level up to that. She needs to find that spell on, like, level four or something to be able to heal you. But, uh, like, you could technically... It's like a raid on Warcraft, or you could just sort of run through this dungeon in a coordinated um, party... But once you've kind of leveled up a bit and you're with people who know what they're doing, they'll just sprint off ahead and kill the boss really fast. So, also they balance it so like um, whenever someone on your party opens a treasure chest, you get something as well. But if you're not doing much, like the person who ran off and killed Dracula for me, they got a holy Alucard sword. I got a bowl of ramen. <laughs> I got a rock. I mean, that uh, sounds like that sounds pretty good. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 a, uh, it, it was good ramen, uh, but it's a good way of not basically just throwing high-end items at people who uh, you know just get a friend who's a way higher level or a stranger who's a way higher level. It felt like a massively violent, frantic version of Journey, if that makes sense. That does make sense. Yeah. So yeah, that's uh, Harmony of Despair, not to be confused with Harmony of Dissonance on the uh, Game Boy Advance. Again, these crazy stupid names.
so yeah, the three Nintendo DS games, and again, these are great games and are, are so impossible good. to find, not for crazy money on eBay, and you can emulate them on, on things like Drastic, but it's hard and it helps if you've got a modded 3DS. Most people don't have them. These are games, the, the second and third in particular, you don't need that touchscreen. The first one you do because they were like, we've got to justify this being on the DS. This is the follow-up to Aria of Sorrow, Dawn of Sorrow, where you play Soma Cruise again. Like you're drawing glyphs on the screen. Which is so hilarious to me because like, the yeah, okay, the portrait and Order of Ecclesia don't really make use of the touchscreen elements. Mm -hmm. But that top screen being a constant map, or even just like, hey, this is what the enemy might drop. Mm. Like, you get you, that extra information on the top screen is a godsend oh, for yeah, exploring these castles. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Not having to constantly pause it if you're uh, uh, if you're playing on uh, the original console is um, is a breath of fresh air. And these are good. Castlevania games, like uh, um, of the three of them, I actually feel like um, Dawn and Portrait, the first uh, Dawn of Sorrow, Portrait of Ruin, are quite anime in style, and I really responded well to the darker tone and more gothic look of uh, Order of Ecclesia. You're also playing a woman for the first fucking time in God knows how long, uh, and Shinoa rather than picking up weapons, picks up glyphs, which act as weapons. And she kind of like casts loads of different spells and they encourage you to mix it up. So you get like a loadout of like, I want a mace and a fireball, or I want ice magic and a sword glyph. And then you kind of just like experiment on different um, uh, uh, enemies. And there's a real feeling like, it really feels like an RPG more than a lot of the other ones because they can drop glyphs at any time. You're like, oh shit, I've got a new a new thing. Like, that's really cool. It's kind of like the Souls thing in uh, the Sorrow games. Order of Ecclesia is the one that I definitely want to go back to. I didn't play very much of it, but it was evident almost immediately that I was I would really enjoy mm. it if I could get further into it. But I think that was the night I was really, really tired and it was one of the last ones I picked up. So I had to stop. It's... I, I... I should warn you, that one is notably hard oh, it's for tough. the Metroidvania yeah. line, but that's because they gave you two attack slots for mm. the first time. So what they want you to do is like, ah, these weapons aren't working, figure out what the enemy's weakness is. Yeah. yeah. See, that's something that I do quite like. I, I, the, the puzzle element of having to figure something out is something mm. that really appeals to me in, in action games. Um, Portrait of Ruin... I put that on at number five on my uh, top five. This is one where you control two people for a change, so it's yeah. like you're, 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 you feel less lonely. I really liked the dynamics. I like the, you're absolutely right about the anime element to the visuals. And they were trying to appeal to a younger audience. It feels, uh, do you know what it really reminds me of? Castle of Illusion. Mm. I mean, Castle of Illusion mm. feels weirdly Castlevania anyway. Yeah. yeah. Um, but the the only reason that I didn't get further with this one is I really this is going to sound so silly, but the backgrounds are busy, very busy, and it is often yeah. I find this quite a struggle in a lot of games, and I did have this same issue with Castle of Illusion, weirdly enough. I can't tell the difference between mm. a platform I can stand on and a platform that's just part of the background, and it kept catching me out. Yeah. Yeah. Quite a few Castlevania games do that. Mm. The, yeah. the and it music, becomes frustrating after a while. The music in Portrait of Ruin also was way too like poppy and happy for the Castlevania. Yeah, it series. felt weirdly detached. 
I was like, yeah, party time. And then we've got two teenagers like sniping at each other. And I was like, what is going on? Like the gameplay was fun. And and I it's like number two on my list of Metroid, my ranking of Metroidvanias, I oh, think. Nice. But no, three, I'm sorry, because I put Symphony first because okay. it's, it's, it's the one I've played the most. Uh, then Order of Ecclesia, then Portrait. So like, it's not that it's bad, but it just felt so completely d uh, different from all of the others that I, I I noted it. I was like, why is the music happy? It's, and why it's are these very two idiots just like, like that. It's very strange that it's like that because this is a sequel to Bloodlines, which we didn't mention right? took place. Took, Bloodlines took place in World War One, mm -hmm. and this one takes place around World War Two. Mm -hmm. Nothing to do with World War Two, thankfully. But, but that, that's yeah. really an era that's uh, that makes you think J-pop. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and and schoolgirls who are who get who make anime face when you call them children and are wearing like the thigh high socks and i'm mm. like what is what 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 <laughs> i i did like the uh, uh the two player the two character mechanic yeah. is not super explored in the gameplay yeah, there's some puzzles which use it but it's there's um, a couple yeah. but uh, if you want to uh get good at it with the combat there mm. is uh there there is room for it to get good at it's not just like a tacked on thing mm. yeah A lot of the environments start to change when you get to the DS ones. You keep going to like Bavarian villages in broad daylight in uh, uh, Portrait, so it doesn't have that brooding Gothic feel. And that is reversed order of Ecclesia. There's all these like hellish landscapes and like mountainous regions and and like swamps and under the sea and just all of these really evocative places before you get to Castle Dracula. Basically, like the first half of the game is all over the place in a good way. Like you are going to loads yeah. of different areas and they they really deal with the backtracking side of it in that you can get out from either end of the map. And there's also like very handy teleportation pods in between, save rooms in relative abundance. But you just constantly walk back to this village that you keep rescuing people who you find in the levels and then populating this deserted village with. And then each of them has like fetch quests for you that I think I mentioned earlier. It's like, I really need some silk thread to make a silk dress. And if you do that, I'll, I might uh, help you out. And then you do go find, you find a three silk thread and oh shit, she makes you a really great set of suit of armor, basically. It's not. It's, it's, it's not a great village, but it's it's something. It's definitely something you start to feel like mm. some sort of protective ownership of. I feel like I prefer this one to the village in Ritual of the Night because the ritual like began with I want you to get revenge on you know for the death of my husband. I'm like revenge on what? Like kill those murderers dead. Never ending I Medusa heads flying at you. Like I must get revenge on those. It felt too yeah, nebulous as a, uh, a a quest. Portrait. Uh. I also found that if you hold up with mm -hmm. each character, they'll do a little pose. Mm -hmm. And then if you keep holding up, like, 
So um, uh, Charlotte will read her book and twirl her hair with her other hand. Mm-hmm. And if you keep holding up, she'll like do like an anime pose and go, well, pretty good, huh? And I'm like, what? And Jonathan will do like a hair flip and hold his hand up like he's posing dramatically. And if you keep holding up, he'll do like a Michael Jackson like dance move and thrust his crotch. And I was like, the, oh. the DS line is very charming. Mm. It is. <laughs> And then in Order of Ecclesia, if you hold up, she does a sexy pose. Mm-hmm. But the sexy pose is how you absorb glyphs, so it's it's awesome. She's got this awesome intricate back tattoo, and when when you hold up, she sort of lifts up her hair so that her back is is visible. And the, mm. that, yeah, and then all of the magic starts siphoning into you. You didn't do that yet. I think I Sharon did. just went open mouth there. <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, it's, yeah, Shinoa's a, a favorite Told character. Told you I didn't play enough of that one. Yeah. Um, Shinoa is definitely, like, uh, something Igarashi clearly was very fond of, because she's basically just remade for the Ritual series. Yeah. Although, I, I do, like, I wish that actually worked on her character more, because she's, like, her characteristics are, I am emotionless, strange for a woman. Oh, okay, so what's your past? I don't remember. Well, that's convenient. <laughs> I did at least appreciate that as an amnesia storyline, it didn't go, oh, you got your memories back. It went, ah, god damn it, I'm so pissed I don't have context for these emotional beats that are happening. Mm. <laughs> My heart is like a stone. It's like lightning from Final Fantasy 13. Like, you know what? Sometimes we can play a woman who is emotional. Like, it might not scare all the guys away. Ugh. Anyway. Um, oh, one thing I did want to mention. The villain in... Uh, uh, Aria of Sorrow, the ge- the third and best GBA game, is a guy named Graham Jones, and like he turns up, his hands in his pockets, and he's like, "I am looking for the soul of Dracula because I believe I am Dracula's uh, heir incarnate." And uh, you're like, "Hey, how's it going, Graham Jones?" It, just, like, it doesn't sound terrifying. And then when his like, eyebrows are though, yeah. But, uh, like, he just keeps turning up and going, How's it going, Summer Cruise? I'm Graham Jones. <laughs> just getting that little bit closer to being Dracula. And you kind of feel sorry for him at the end, because he's so sure of it. And he's not. <laughs> We're going to talk about the three Lords of Shadow games now, and it's going to be surprisingly brief as a section for a number of reasons. All three are graphically impressive, polished efforts with a fairly amazing voice cast and magnificent music by Oscar Araujo, who is the MVP here. However, as contemporary action games go, they are forgettable, generic, uninspired in terms of story, grim in tone, and morose in philosophy. Ergo, while they are considerably more impressive at first glance than most of the previous games on this long, long list, there really isn't all that much to say about them that marks them as exceptional among their chosen peers. It's like switching jobs from being the best juggler in the whole world to being just an average, albeit handsome and rich, soccer player. Bottom line is they feel disconnected from the rest of the Castlevania games, not least because they have their own separate internal continuity, and not a particularly fascinating one at that. 
and I got really bored. And some of the environments are lovely. Like, there's this gorgeous, like, green labyrinth. And, you know, you actually meet Pan from Pan's Labyrinth. And then you, it was like, okay, now you're on this Colossus, like in Shadow of the Colossus. And now you're doing this, like in that Dracula movie. And it's like, oh my god, this whole game is cobbled together from bits of other things. But rather than feeling like it's doing its own thing with them, it just feels tired and derivative. Hideo Kojima consulted on this. The, the design looks gorgeous. I would love for this to be a really great Castlevania story. And it's not. They hired... Patrick Stewart. Yeah, absolutely. And I was just sat there thinking, you did not need Patrick Stewart for this. <laughs> oh, my old friend, climbing the mountain to Castle Dracula. What will he find there? Dracula he's, or Nazi he's gold? He's doing a good job. It's just he can't save this. Yeah. Well, indeed. I, and this one, uh, Lords of Shadow, mm. threw me out almost immediately. And it's got a just fucking my dead family, section. super grim, dark yeah. bullshit storyline. It's but it, very clearly inspired by God of War. Yeah. It does oh, yeah. that thing in the in the tutorial where it's like, now you have to do this, and if you don't get it precisely right, you have to do it again, and you just have to keep. All going. the 3D games do that. And I. Ugh. But Mirror of Fate, you liked. Yeah, okay, right. This was a this 3DS a game one. that then got ported to the 360 as an HD remake of, of itself. Yeah, and it opens with this bizarre little bit of history clip where it starts talking oh, about... It also copies the Van Helsing film with um, Hugh Jackman, but that film was very silly and this film is super self-serious. Yes, Sorry, this is, game It serious. is totally self-serious. Um, it's like it's, Zack Snyder's Castlevania. <laughs> it starts off oh. with, here's one Belmont doing stuff, and then he got married and had a kid, and that kid had a kid, and now you're two Belmonts down the line. <laughs> and it's like, did, did we need the first bit to then jump forward to this bit? But for some reason... The first bit's just, a tutorial. Well, absolutely. But it Hit just, the thing. Hit the thing right. <laughs> For some reason, the the way it played and the story beats just got me, and I I honestly can't put my finger on why. It looks awful. It looks it's mud splattered and brown, and it it really doesn't look great. But for these in for of the of the grim ones, this was definitely my favourite, and I enjoyed playing it more than I enjoyed playing Symphony because Symphony is fiddly and platformy and this felt a lot less so it felt more like the scroll and whip yeah style but yeah, you it kind of in a different way like you move into a new area mm. and then some enemies appear and you have to kill them on a, a on a, like a side angle version of god of war yeah. like if god of war was a platformer yeah yeah, indeed. And I mean, it's it's worth remembering that most of these games I played for, what, maybe 10 minutes, 10, 15 minutes? I think if I had got further into this one and played it for longer, I probably would have got bored. Um, oh, I got soon. bored. Almost yeah. soon. Yeah. Immediately. I, I did too. Yeah. Yeah. These were, um, these, all three of these uh, Lords of Shadow games were mm -hmm. made by Mercury Steam. Mm -hmm. uh, Spanish developer, you know them for the Samus Returns remake, and they're working on Metroid. Metroid I quite yeah. like Samus Returns. Yeah, so I don't think the issue with the Lords of Shadow games is Mercury Steam necessarily. Mm -hmm. um, I finished the first Lords of Shadow, mm -hmm. and about eight hours in, 
you finish the werewolf section and you go to a vampire castle and mm. suddenly it's like an actual Castlevania game mm, and you're solving puzzles. If you play it for eight it. hours, then it gets good. <laughs> fuck off, be good now! Oh yeah, absolutely fuck off with that shit. But the, uh, what the impression I got, and I'm just guessing here, is that Mercury Steam made that castle level mm. and it was good. Mm. And then Konami was like, this game is not long enough. This game needs to be longer. Makes more so they like add, add clag to it. <laughs> so they tacked on like seven hours to the front and five hours to the back. And that's that's notably where all those titans are. There's no titans in the casual mm. segment. So, so was, they did that with Alien Isolation. Remember that one where it was like, you know what? This is a really good tense uh, stealth game. And I really... Like, it could be over now, and then ten more hours go by, like, fuck off, just finish! <laughs> I just, like, I, I don't know why games have to be so long sometimes. Like, uh, whenever it says in a review, it's quite a short game, you won't, like, it's only four hours, I'm like, oh, thank God, four hours. Because I don't, I don't have time to do the same mechanics over and over again. It's boring! And I say that after devoting dozens and dozens of hours to ostensibly the same game for months on end. I don't know, maybe it's just completely different gameplay loop. I guess because it's effectively just a series of rooms. Maybe 3D action games make me tired because I'm always looking for how the hell to get out as opposed to being able to judge immediately that I can't get out. The first Lords of Shadow is like on two discs on the 360 version. Like, and you still yeah. have to go back to old levels to like find collectibles with yeah. your new power-ups. Yeah. So you gotta swap discs if you're going back too far. It's Ooh, ridiculous. That's fiddly. Yeah, so I mean, it's... I, I haven't played these, but there was a guy in my chat when I was playing uh, Mayor of Fate who said that the first Lords of Shadow was like his guilty pleasure. Mm. I was like, why is it your guilty pleasure? Like, this is one of the best-selling, believe it or not, Castlevania games ever. No, I believe it. This, these series have never been a massive hit because it's never quite been the cutting edge of any particular trend. It, it took a popular game mechanic, which is, I, I think, what Kane and Rince calls the character action game, mm. which, like... God of War, the modern, the more modern God of Wars, or Devil May Cry, or mm. Bayonetta, you know, where Kay. it's the fast-paced, combo-based combat. Mm. Character and action is the worst genre title ever. Spectacle Fighter. That's the one I use. Thank fighters. you. But I could not remember it to save my ass. <laughs> I know Bayonetta um, has spectacles. Gabriel Belmont did not have spectacles. <laughs> She got the librarian glasses, humana humana. And the, the Shinoa thing with the, the back. Anyway. Oh yeah. <clears throat> the uh <laughs> But like they took a genre that was popular and it uh, according to uh, a video I watched, it wasn't even originally a Castlevania game. Yeah, it makes sense. And it got sort of shaped shaped to be a reboot. Like they do of with Die Hard movies. Uh it, it probably slightly better than some of those. Hmm. <laughs> I don't know, man. This one went on forever. But I think the fact that it didn't try to fit into existing canon was a good idea. Yeah, otherwise... it preserves that canon, I suppose, yeah. Yeah, and otherwise it just would never have worked. They're easily ignored. That's their greatest crime. Yeah. Yeah. Like, if you like the, the spectacle fighter genre, apparently they're not bad. I could not get into Mirror of Fate because it, it felt like a like a side-scrolling brawler mm. instead of a Castlevania game. Yeah. But unlike the good side-scrolling brawlers, none of my attacks had any oomph. 
Yeah, no, I got that. Like it's just whap 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 whap. Oh, it hit me. Whap 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 whap. Oh, it's dead. I think people right. resent these games more than they maybe deserve because this is what Konami did in the 2010s. Like uh, Harmony of Despair, that one, the little big Castlevania that I mentioned, was the last time they really did side-scrolling. They did this, and nobody liked the first. The first one was a big seller, but no one was raving about how much of a, a breath of like. You remember when Dad of Boy yeah. came out, and everyone was like, "It's <laughs> such a better version of God of War." And when a game really kind of piques the interest, and th that was not the Lords of Shadow games. And then another game came out, and I actually had to do my research on this today, because I was like, hang on, there was a mobile game, right? That was probably like a, a match three puzzler or something. No, there was like a full-on action game. There were two starring Alucard, but not Alucard, starring a guy who turns up in the uh, Soma Cruz GBA game, Aria of Sorrow, and his name is Aricardo, and he's a stylish guy with black hair. That was fucking Alucard all along! Yeah. And, uh, yeah, this game, Grimoire of Souls, launched on mobile and Android in Canada only for what? a while. And Japan. And Japan. And they did a beta test on it, and people worked out that you could play it without investing heavily in its fee-to-pay economy, and so it wasn't really making that much money. So Konami oh, decided, you know this. what, let's just not release it at all. Let's just, just shit-can this entire game. And weirdly, from the sounds of it, even though it's... Do you remember when they remade Secret of Mana and Final Fantasy IV and they kind of made sort of a more polygonal 3D version, but with the same yeah. kind of mechanics of the original game? It's that. Yeah. But um, Kojima came back to do new artwork of classic characters, and what it basically does is, this new character, Lucy, is summoning Castlevania heroes out of the past. And like you get to play with Simon, and it's a gacha type game, and you get to play with Richter, and you get to play with Elucard, and you get to play with Trevor, and you get to play with Christopher, and, you, and like, all of these heroes. And it's like six hours worth of content to this game, but a lot of it was very grindy. The second game is Castlevania Moonlight Rhapsody, which we only know a little bit about at the moment. It's actually not yet been released, but it seems to be a reworking of the concept. And I also found out that just as soon as I was like, fuck, so it's just gone the way of Castlevania Rebirth. This happened after the Bloodstained games. And now it's actually coming back, as of August 2021, to the Apple store, the Apple Arcade thing. And what they operate in is whole, complete, high-quality games. So I'm wondering whether they've reworked the entire thing to eliminate the shitty microtransaction by all of these funny money Mickey Mouse currency things that plague mobile gaming. It's astonishing to me in this story that like Konami set out to make a grindy microtransaction mm. suck the cash out of your wallet game and failed yeah. to actually yeah. make the the money sucking mechanics good enough. Mm. So people just played it for free so they just 
gave up on it. Like, that's an astonishing story. But, like, <laughs> if you're a Castlevania fan, it's got, like, deep lore, and it was written by people who actually care about Castlevania. And that, I suspect, is why it does not play up to the microtransaction yeah. mechanics, because it was made by people who actually love, care yeah. about the game. Oh, the game was made me love. You can't do that with a mobile game. <laughs> <laughs> it's got to be completely like dollar signs in the eyes. Like, looking at the splash screen here, I see Soma, Alucard, Maria Renard, Shanoa, mm -hmm. Simon, and Charlotte. It's just, that's the splash screen. That gives me, uh, like, a, a Bonervania. Bonervania. It's like Smash. It's like Castlevania Smash. I don't want us to overstate the qualities of this game that none of us have played and only some of us have seen kind of working for a bit. But digital games are wild and elusive, and they're not safe. And the publishers can make them an endangered species or straight up extinct. This absolutely transcends the relative qualities of a game and becomes the province of archiving and gaming history. Something which I care a lot about. Speaking of the dollar dollar, mm -hmm. uh, I just looked up how much money Bloodstained Ritual of the Night made on Kickstarter. Oh, just yeah. for my own it's reference, five and a half mil. Yeah. yeah. You could have had that, Konami. You could have had it all. But you had to be like, nah, man, erotic violence and pachinko. Yeah, we're going to finish uh, talking about uh, Bloodstained, Curse of the Moon, Ritual of the Night, and I suppose Curse of the Moon 2, which is, this is what Igarashi went off and did uh, with his own Blackjack and Hooker's version of, uh, as you say, Castlevania with the uh, serial number filed off. I've been holding back on these for a while because I'm like, I want to play the original ones first so that the obvious, like, you know, ad advancements and evolutions and what went into this really kind of made sense to me and resonate. And it's actually, I'm only halfway through Order of Ecclesia and I played a whole bunch of Ritual of the Night and now I'm seeing stuff in Ecclesia where I'm like, I get where all this spellcasting stuff comes from and how, uh, and how Miriam is, is kind of an off-brand Shinoa. Go for it. Like, what was Curse of the Moon? Curse of the Moon. So one of my favorite uh, flavor of games to stream mm -hmm. and make YouTube videos out of are modern games that have retro aesthetics. Mm -hmm. Like Shovel Knight yep. and The Messenger are two of my absolute favorites. And Curse of the Moon was like a, uh, a stretch goal. Well, okay, we'll get someone to make an 8-bit style game. A prequel game to the main event. Yeah. As and, though it was made back in the 80s. And it is... Curse of the Moon. I haven't played the second one yet, so mm -hmm. I, I can't speak to it. But the first one is... It's like what Castlevania 3 is in a nostalgic person's mind. It's <laughs> what your nostalgia remembers Castlevania 3 as. Yeah. Like... You, you're the main character, Zangetsu, and everything is 8-bit graphic style like NES, but it's beautiful, and controls are perfect. 
they're so they're so crisp and so tight. Stairs and, a lot easier to navigate now. Exactly. One of the first things I did was jump on a staircase when I started playing. I was like, you can jump on a staircase! <laughs> <laughs> it's, like I said, it's an 8-bit game with, with modern design sensibilities. Mm. So when you meet your second additional character... It's Miriam. It, well, the first additional character is Miriam. The second so, one is... Yeah. is um, the old uh, dude. What's his name? The old dude. Old dude. Yeah, and then you've got Alicorn with the serial number Albert. filed off. Yeah, I could not... Because I they never said his name out loud in Curse of the Night... Or Curse of the Moon. I didn't know how to say his name, so I just kept calling him not Al Alucard. It's Jeebel, but I didn't know that. But uh, you don't have to, like you did in Castlevania 3, you don't have to dismiss the one you've got. Mm. So you could have all of them. Mm. And there's no lives, well, there's there's no continues. Like, you don't lose until all of your characters die. So and even then, it's generous with its checkpointing, especially if you play on casual. It's true. But if you die as Zengetsu and you jump into a pit, well, now you just can't switch to Zengetsu because he's at the bottom of the pit. Yeah. And once you lose all of your characters, oh, well, can now you, you continue. Fine. And yes. it's, it, it just feels better than, oh, no, I've only got two continues left and I just died like an idiot. Son mm. of a... Like, there's <laughs> none of that. There's uh, uh, branching pathways where you're like, this fucking section's just killing me. It's like, oh, you know what? I'll just go back a bit. Uh, and like, that some of them you can't go back to, but others you can actually just choose to go, you know what? This bit fucking sucks. I'm going to go the other way. And you, you yeah. get recommended by skeletons pointing of previous and fallen adventurers. Honestly, if I was going to recommend a classic version of Castlevania to anyone, it would be Curse of the Moon, because it's, it's so, so much good. better than what Nintendo and Konami could do back in the 80s. It's it's fair, it's smooth, it's beautifully presented. Those bosses are all inventive and fun, and like they're, you can kind of kill them first time, which makes it feel good. If you constantly go up against bosses that just kick your ass, it was not designed to be a game that would just destroy you. You can play on, like, you can tweak it for veteran mode if you really want to have it on NES difficulty. But if you just want to explore a world that feels vintage, this is absolutely the one to go for. Like, I, I love it so much, I've streamed all the way through the game three times. Mm. Uh, once with collecting all of the heroes, once with just Zengetsu where you kill, because you get options. You can either take the other characters with you, Miriam Alfred, that's his name, Miriam Alfred and Jeebel, or you can just ignore them and go on without them, or you can kill them, which gives you an extra ability as Zengetsu. Each one you kill gets you another ability, like you get the Crescent Slash when you kill Miriam, you get the, I think it's the double jump when you kill Alfred. It's so it's totally cool. Nice. Uh, each each character also has different abilities. Like Miriam can slide and jump higher. She's got a whip. Has a whip. And uh, Alfred casts magic spells like the lightning one that auto tracks enemies, mm. and the freeze that freezes things and enemies and things. And it's so good. And Jeebel can turn into a bat because of course he can. Yeah. I played it once, collecting everyone. I played it again in nightmare mode to get the true ending, which is you just do it again without Zengetsu, and everything's a little bit harder. Uh, but this, if, when you get to the end, instead of fighting the big thing, you fight Zengetsu. And that that was brutal. And then I did it again, again, by killing all three of them and just be getting Zengetsu's full arsenal and playing through it with just him, which is harder. But because of the extra abilities, it's not like that much harder. So it was fine. 
And if you've got uh, Xbox Live or you get games with gold every month, check your collection. You probably already have this. It was given away a while back as uh, one of the uh, monthly games with gold titles. Look for Bloodstained Curse of the Moon. Curse of the Moon was uh, one that I just absolutely adored. It was one of my favorite games that released that year, even more than Ritual of the Night. Um, And what blew me away uh, was two main things. Uh, One, the way that... This game specifically feels so Castlevania without having anything that looks exactly like Castlevania. Mm. Like, they've redesigned all the enemies. The Medusa heads are not Medusa heads. And uh, the pixel art is, you know, it's limited. You'd think it would look like Castlevania exactly in some places, but it really, really doesn't. Zangetsu uh, dates back and sort of pays homage to Fuma, uh, the uh, guy from... uh, Getsu Fumaden, the, uh, which was a very early contemporary made by Konami of... Uh, it's also Ninja Gaiden-y in his little sword yeah, yeah. stab. Yeah. yeah. He's voiced but, by uh, David the... Hater in uh, um, uh, Ritual oh, of the delightful. Night, which just feels a bit like like all the people that Konami snubbed, apart from Guillermo del Toro in the, in this past decade, like came back and made their own Castlevania with Blackjack and Hookers, and uh, Hater, who was replaced with Kiefer Sutherland as Solid Snake, just coming back to do this voice. But the other thing that I adored about Curse of the Moon is um, the sort of wordless NES storytelling. This was something Shovel Knight was absolutely fantastic mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. in the final boss where you've got uh, Shield Knight helping you and suddenly like the gameplay is telling you so much about their relationship. And kind of in a similar way when you do the nightmare run where you have to defeat Zangetsu, there's just so much like uh, wordless storytelling about the his old friends coming back to save his soul. Ah, I, I love this game so much. <laughs> Understandably, it, it is but it is top of my list for classic Vania games, and it's not even a Castlevania game because it's it's that damn good. Yeah. final game we're going to talk about this evening bloodstained ritual of the night this is a full-on symphony style metroidvania the first since symphony to launch on current gen consoles and it is absolutely luscious it responds as you would want it to it plays like you would want it to there's a litany of engaging fun characters sweets of gorgeous music, acres of explorable castle, and it has all the mod cons of the evolution of the series. So in many, many ways, it's better and deeper as an experience than even the revered classics. It is, among our group, one of the best Castlevania experiences you can give yourself. And that is something we recommend you do. Ritual of the Night came out on Xbox and PlayStation 4, Windows, iOS, Android, and Switch. 
And at the time on the Switch, it was notoriously inferior to the other platforms. It has subsequently, since 2019, received multiple patches on the Switch and now it's up to standard. Xbox One PS4 still look better due to the superior processing power. Though interestingly, the Switch is more colorful, more vibrant. And of course, you get to play it handheld, which for so many of us, kind of became the home for Castlevania. I know that's why it's top of Sharon's list. Ritual of the Night is kind of a weird game for me to talk about because it's it's Symphony of the Night again, but with some stuff from the later Metroidvania lines mm. thrown in. Like it's got every enemy drops a thing. This time it's shards, so it, it works a little bit like the soul collecting Nari of Sorrow. It's got a ridiculously uh, complicated shop where you've got every single fucking ingredient in the game. You're just like, could you just give me potions? I don't necessarily <laughs> want to make myself a Jacobean except, banquet. Except for the ingredient you need. Yeah. She does not sell that. You never have yeah, that. You, you can't have, have salt, you but you get everything else. I absolutely love that. I have to say, uh, Bloodstained Ritual of the Night is my absolute favorite of all of these. Nice. And it is the one that I will continue to play now that we're done. It's also story-wise just... It's doing a lot better than the Castlevania series was ever doing story-wise. Like, they've oh, yeah. got the budget to have actual voice direction and voice actors... Um, there's go there's goofiness like with the demon barber, but then you know Jubal <laughs> is legitimately a tragic character in this mm -hmm. story. I'm a good killer barber. <laughs> it's just in general going to give you more than everything that was made 20 to 35 years ago. Frankly, it's going to give you more than what was made five years ago. Lords of Shadow. <laughs> Okay, we have three final things. One is the timeline of chronological events, because they're all over the place. The next is our concentrated list of most recommended titles in this series. And finally, where you can play them on modern machines. So you begin with the first ever Skyward Sword type event that was the PS2 game Lament of Innocence in the year 1094, which starred Leon Belmont, the beginning of the Belmont clan. 382 years go by, and then in 1476 you get Gra Dracula's Curse, the third NES game. That's the setting for the Netflix Castlevania series that we will be back with in the not-too-distant future. That gives you time to watch seasons 1 and 2 at least. That's 4 for season 1 and 8 for season 2. It is... A legitimately good, gothic, tragicomedy. Delightful. So then, yeah, Trevor Belmont of the disgraced Belmont family meets Alucard, Dracula's son, and a mage named Cypher Belnades, and they go, as you might expect, to Castle Dracula. Uh, this would then be followed by the other PS2 game, Curse of Darkness and the Adventures of Hector. About a hundred years later, you get Christopher Belmont on the Game Boy Adventure with and Revenge of Belmont titles. Another hundred years later, and you get the original NES, Castlevania 1 and 2, with Simon Belmont and the remakes of the first game on the SNES and PS1. So Super Castlevania and Chronicles are remakes of the first one. Then 50 more years and it's 1748 and a descendant named Just Belmont 
has a harmony of dissonance on the Game Boy Advance. That's the one who looks a bit like Dante with a red coat. Another 44 years to 1792 and Richter Belmont and his Rondo of Blood that we were raving about earlier with that insane music on the TurboGrafx CD and then the remake on the PSP closely followed by Alucard headlining at last, even though he was in, it, in Castlevania 3 for a bit. Finally, he's the lead dude in Symphony of the Night then there's the third DS game, Order of Ecclesia, soon after that one, with a one-off spellcasting heroine that we raved about called Shinoa with the tattoo on her back. Then something weird happens. 82 years pass, and it's 1897, and the events of Bram Stoker's Dracula occur within this chronology. So you see the <laughs> Francis Ford Coppola film for the best version of that. Do not at me, I'm right. That's the you best movie right. of Dracula. <laughs> he is right. And then uh, Quincy P. Morris is killed, and his son John and grandson Jonathan have their own Mega Drive and DS adventures around the First and Second World Wars with bloodlines and portrait of ruin. So it goes into the 20th century. And finally, in the far future year of 2035, an anime boy with white hair and a cool coat named Soma Cruz finds out secret secret things that I actually won't reveal because it's kind of a neat reveal for the end of those games and then in Dawn of Sorrow he has to then contend with the reveal from the end of the GBA game and uh, yeah that is the, the end way, of chronology up until Grimoire which actually technically follows on from that so that's this mobile game which technically brings us to a new continuation of the classic chronology so I suppose it's the Picard of Castlevanias. Do we'll not play Aria of No Dawn of Sorrow if you don't want to know the twist and the, uh, the, the big reveal yeah. at the play end. Play them in, of in release the Aria. order. Yeah. Because it lets you know in the opening scrawl. Yeah. It's like a hey, this happened, and I was like, well, I I'm glad I already knew that, or I'd be pissed. I was gonna say it, but uh it's like, you yeah, know, let's leave a few secrets, shall we? Yeah. Uh, by the way, the three more recent Lords of Shadow games are their own rewritten continuity, kind of like the recent Star Trek, only not related to the original via time travel, uh, like the Grimoire one, apparently, and also bad. Others that aren't in continuity are Legends on the Game Boy, Circle of the Moon on GBA, Judgment, that's the Soul Calibur fighting game on the Wii, and the multiplayer Dungeon Raids on 360 and PS3 Harmony of Despair, along with mobile game Grimoire of Souls, which, like I said, uh, that appears to start a new continuity or continue it. We'll need to play it on Apple Arcade and find out. Wait, uh, did, uh, did the N64 games happen anywhere in there? No. Nah. <laughs> okay, that's fine. Uh, I'm pretty They're sure those are entirely continuity. not only non-canon, but they try to pretend they don't exist. Yeah, Th they those could. are like the Star Wars holiday special of Castlevania. <laughs> they occur very briefly in the Dark Ages, nobody notices. <laughs> Okay, in terms of our collective top five, I asked everyone in this show to give me their top five, and then I allocated points going down the list, and managed to hone it into a top five including Bloodstained titles, and for purists, if it has to be a Castlevania game, I can give you that top five without Bloodstained titles, because basically, Bloodstained scores incredibly highly, and frankly, we don't want you to miss out. The number one game between us was Symphony of the Night. Number two, Bloodstained Ritual of the Night. Number three, Order of Ecclesia on DS. Number four, Bloodstained Curse of the Moon. And number five, the one that remained hidden and Japanese release only for so many years, Rondo of Blood. 
and if we eliminate those Bloodstained titles, the list goes Symphony, Ecclesia, Rondo, and then Portrait of Ruin on DS, so that's two of the DS titles right at the top of the list. That tells you how these should be made accessible to modern audiences by Nintendo and Konami. Then Aria of Sorrow on Game Boy Advance, best of those three, hopefully coming soon in a new collected edition pack, fingers crossed. And finally, the only 3D one that made the list, Curse of Darkness on PlayStation 2. Pluto Burns really, really loved that one. So if you're asking what 3D game to play, there's your answer. Next up, where you can play them. Castlevania Anniversary, which is available on Switch, PS4, Xbox One, and Steam. That has Castlevania 1, Castlevania 2, Simon's Quest, Castlevania 3, Dracula's Curse, Super Castlevania 4, uh, Castlevania The Adventure from the Game Boy, Castlevania Belmont's Revenge from the Game Boy, Castlevania Bloodlines from the Mega Drive, and if that wasn't enough, you also get Kid Dracula, and if that wasn't enough, you also get the Japanese versions of all of those games, including uh, Dracula's Curse has a really beefed up soundtrack, which a lot of people prefer, um, and you just find that as an extra on this um, uh, game pack. There's also a digital book. This big tabletop companion with loads of uh, interviews and diagrams and making of stuff. It's really comprehensive. This is a lovely package that they Especially produce. considering that it's like modern Konami that put that one together. Yeah. Like, that's the best thing they've done in many years. Yeah. If you find it on sale, snap that shit up. Even if you want yeah. to play them for a bit, they are. this is worth having. To basically yeah. give you a comprehensive, like, early days, this was what Castlevania was up until the mid-90s. Requiem on PS4 is a combo pack of Symphony of the Night and Rondo of Blood, less lovingly presented. Like, the you've got two games to select from, and the titles kind of mush into each other on in the selection. So it it's... It's got kind of garbage water to in the actual front end, but the two games are fucking amazing, so totally worth getting that. Even if you already own Symphony of the Night, it's worth the price of entry, especially on sale, for Rondo of Blood. You can also get Symphony of the Night on its own on, on 360, which is backwards compatible with both the Xbox One and the Series X and Series S, that, that the new platforms. Harmony of Despair is that little big Castlevania that I mentioned before. If you if you got some mates and you want to just play that crazy game where you all rush around the place, it's a real experience and it, it feels authentic because you've got all of these classic Castlevania enemies there. Just, like, the whole game is made from previous assets. It's like a, a, a massive remix. And it's, it's, it's quite a celebration. Plus, thrash metal versions of all of these songs. Great to hear. Uh, there's also Aria of Sorrow, Harmony of Dissonance, and Circle of the Moon. If you've got the Wii U still. I said current consoles. This doesn't really count. But they're, uh, the, the three um, GBA uh, titles available for like seven bucks each. On, uh, on the virtual console. It's a legit way to play them. You can play them on the Wii U gamepad, they're blown up to a larger size, or you can play them on the screen. Bit of an eyesore, especially that middle one, but uh, but yeah, the, the, the middle one's the garish one, the first one's the dingy one. Aria is just right. And then there's, if you really want them, Lords of Shadow 1 and 2 and Mirror of Fate, they're available on 360p uh, S3 and 3DS. 
I don't, like, why would we recommend them? We wouldn't. There's so many other nope. better action games to play. Well, if you really like the spectacle fighter genre, like I said, apparently they're not bad. Bloodstained, Curse of the Moon, and Ritual of the Night. Curse of the Moon also has a Curse of the Moon 2, which is, like, the first game is, like you say, designed as a stretch goal. It's just kind of designed as sort of a speculative, what if there was a, uh, like, a Castlevania 3 now, and it was really good. The second game's way longer. Like, you're supposed to be able to beat the first one in an evening. This, like, it's like hour and a half for the first one, five and a half hours for the second one. Plus, Curse of the Moon 2 is bloated. I, yeah, I didn't oh, like it, it right. as much. So, so, like, Lords of Shadow 1. Okay, well, that's <laughs> a shame, because it does have two-player co-op. Really? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was playing it on Switch. Like I, said, I, haven't, I haven't played 2 yet, so yeah. I got nothing. And, uh, yeah, those are available on Switch, Xbox, PS4, Vita if you got them, folks. Like, Vita has the original Curse of the Moon on it. School of Movies is kept alive by you folks supporting us on Patreon. Thank you so, so much. Special thanks, as always, to our top tier Vampire Hunters. So that is Aaron Lecluse, Abel Savard, Alex Outridge, Angus Lee, Benjamin Hoffer, Brian Novak, Cassandra Newman, Chris Finnick, Christopher Wolfe, Kieran Dashler, Connor Kennedy, Dan Mayer, Daniel Salguero, Dan Hepner, Dave Hickman, David Sheely, Duran Barnett, Finbar Nicole, Frankie Punzi, Greg Downing, Jameis Enright, Jesse Ferguson, Joe Crow, Joel Robinson, Johan Clayson, Joe G, Josh Waster, Kevin Vihey, Lorraine Chisholm, Mark Luksh, Marty Huey, Matthew A. Siebert, Matthew Webb, Michael Hasco, Robbie Crow, who is brand new Hello Robbie, Sarah Montgomery, Tim Rosensky, Timothy Green, Toby Jungius, Tom Painter, Trey Contreras, and Valencia Burns. So, <clears throat> that will about do it for the Castlevania games. Can our guests tell the folks at home where you can be found? Start with Chewie. You can find me at slash the Manipool. Twitter, YouTube, the other ones. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's slash the Manipool. Branding is very important, right, Alex? Yeah, yes. absolutely, yeah. And again, if you like the sound of Curse of the Moon, it sounds like that YouTube channel and Chewie's Twitch streams contain multiple playthroughs. And Alexa Vargas, a.k.a. Pluto Burns. You can find me on Twitter, also Twitch, uh, I'm planning to get to that, and YouTube as Pluto Burns. Mm -hmm. I actually, last year, did a retrospective video on all the Castlevania games I played up until that point. Oh, and please subscribe to my YouTube channel, because I'm just about to drop my uh, Silent Hill retrospective. Uh, yeah. Which will, I think, finally mean I can stop talking about Konami games, because they don't have any more series I want to talk about. Not Contra? Done... Not Gradius? No, I've done Castlevania, I've done Metal Gear Solid, I'm doing Silent Hill, I'm done. <laughs> Alright, what about erotic violence? I was just gonna say <laughs> can we get a pachinko video? Yeah. I mean, that's just nope. a Tuesday. Hit the lever! <laughs> and we will be back next week with our show on Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. Until Ooh. then, I've been Alex Shaw. I've been Sharon Shaw. And school's, school's out. out. And what music, after all that, could we end on? So I, I forgot to mention this at the beginning. Castlevania 1 gave us the track Vampire Killer, mm -hmm. which is so good. Castlevania 3 gave us the track because it's the first level. It's called The Beginning, which is so good. But one of my, still to this day, my favorite Bloody tears. video game music is Bloody Tears yeah. from Simon's Quest. It Anytime I hear 
any rendition of it. Even the not so great one on uh, I forget which Game Boy game it was in. It might have been Legends. Mm-hmm. It's still I. It just gets me going. Like I need to put that on my shower music playlist. Like any rendition of it. I don't care how goofy. Play it on all like flutes and piccolos, and I'll be like, woo! No, like I, I, I beat that game, and man, it's good thing that that's the song that plays when you're grinding because I needed it. the much maligned Dracula X Chronicles on PSP. And finally for you, we have Pluto Burns' favourite, Curse of Darkness on PS2. And this is the legendary Belmondo.
Oh my god, there was an orchestral Castlevania concert and now I want to be there. So the last, last, real last song is The Sinking Old Sanctuary from Bloodlines on the Mega Drive. <laughs> <laughs> 